Tonight, we are doing Beyond Nashi again. That's right, another Beyond Nashi episode. We're going to call it Beyond Nashi number 12. Allow me to introduce myself because I must explain. Yes. My name is Rod Barnett. And I am Troy Gwynn. And we are here for Beyond Nashi number 12, which is really, honestly, Beyond Nashi number 13. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to skip, like they do floors in, in, in hotels, we're going to skip the 13th. <laughs> exactly. So this one, uh, last one was 11. This one's going to be 12. There will never be a 13. It will be the mysterious thing what never existed. Yeah, drive people crazy trying to find the lost Beyond Nashy episode. <laughs> but tonight we are going to be covering uh, a film directed by a Spanish director, it was a Spanish co-production, a Spanish-Italian co-production, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a movie that uh, I discovered uh, many moons ago, uh, well over a decade ago, mm -hmm. and fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, I, I, I think I may have watched this film now. I've owned it on DVD, and of course I now own the, uh, the mm -hmm. Blu-ray. And I think I have probably watched this movie at least somewhere between eight and ten times. Yeah, I uh, I heard about it for years. I actually never got a chance to grab a copy during the old bootleg video days. So, but as soon as it came out for the first time on DVD, I grabbed it and finally saw it, and uh, and could definitely see what all the hype was about. Um, well, I think one of the stranger things about this movie is how many titles it has oh or boy. has had, and oh we will gosh. we will get to that. There's a, yeah. we'll we'll try to provide a full list 
uh, which will be a uh, an, adve- an adventure <laughs> I mean, really. in mi- it'll be an adventure in mis- <laughs> in mispronunciation yeah. theater. I guarantee yeah. you. So uh, let's say that uh, tonight's film is the Living Dead in Man- in Manchester Morgue, mm-hmm. uh, also known as uh, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. I mentioned that title first uh, before we get to the longer list, mainly because that is the title under which it was released on DVD first in this right. country. And if you try and find it on, say, Netflix, that's the title that it's under still is Let Sleeping Corpses Lie. So. Uh, those are the two titles in English that it is most commonly uh, referred to as, and um, just to ke- just to keep you abreast of how to hunt the film down, let sleeping corpses not lie or living yeah. dead in Manchester morgue. Because the Blu-ray, uh, which is very very nice, and what I used to, to yes. watch for this is called the Living Dead in Manchester morgue and not sleeping cor- let sleeping corpses lie. So yeah, it's almost when you recommend it to someone, you pretty much have to give them both those titles because you know if they're going to go out and hunt it. But uh, the thing is, it is it is an it's an amazing film, and we'll get into the discussion of it here in a moment. Uh, one thing I wanted to uh, bring up is I wanted to I have I'm going to spring this on you, Troy, because it's something I want kind of want to get your opinion on. Oh, there no is prior talk. Warning here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> this is this is a topic that that that, pr- that pertains to uh, to mm-hmm. horror fans. Okay, it goes like this: it, it has been announced that Universal Studios intends to start up a uh, kind of shared universe uh, yes. with their monster creations. So mm-hmm. uh, they're talking about doing new films of uh, Frankenstein's monster, uh, werewolf, all these mm-hmm. kind of different things, mm-hmm. and it will be a shared universe, much kind, much the way that uh, Universal kind of stumbled their way into back in uh, the 40s when they did mm-hmm. uh, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. And from then on, you got things like House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula, where these these creatures crossed over and were in the similar stories, or at least in a kind of semi-anthology kind of thing. And so they're talking about doing that now yeah. with new films, which I am of two minds about. I'm not sure exactly what to think because, um, well, let me come clean. Most people, and this is just the way I am, and I don't know why I'm this way, uh, I have a tendency to like movies, especially genre movies, that it seems that almost everybody else freaking hates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't understand it. I don't, I, I mean, in some cases I can kind of comprehend why it's just not something that a lot of people are going to enjoy. Right. But in some cases, I don't get it. I really don't. Mm-hmm. For in, for instance, uh, just a couple of years ago, Universal remade The Wolfman. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, folks, but I fucking loved it. I thought it was very good. And we, I, we, well, we've talked about yes, it before. Yes, I very much enjoyed it. And um, I don't know if they're going to use that film and fold it into this. I have the feeling they probably won't. Yeah, that they're just uh, totally... Mainly because, uh, to put it bluntly, the fanboy the fanboy reaction to the film was generally negative, and I, I find that to be sad and kind of mm-hmm. short-sighted and stupid. Mm-hmm. But there you have it. There's what mm-hmm. it is. And if you don't like the film, that's fine. But I'm sorry, I really, really liked the Wolfman remake. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I thought it was, I thought it was extremely mm-hmm. good. But I did like it too. Very much enjoyed it. What we have learned here lately is that Universal is going to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm of two minds, kind of excited, but at the same time, Universal is the same studio that gave us Von Helsing ah, know, back in 2004. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that film is Blows. awful. Oh, it is. It's terrible. Yeah. It is everything you want to do wrong crammed mm. into one film with those characters. Well, and, and that's the kind of film where even if somebody's... even It can't even be defended even in the context of what it was trying to be. It's like, it's like in other words, if, if somebody wants to come in and say like, 
you know, well, they weren't trying to make a, a horror movie. They were trying to make, a, you know, a kind of a, a super, make Van Helsing into kind of a superhero action adventure kind of thing. It still sucks because it's just a badly written, badly made film with oh, yeah. so many stupid ideas. I mean, you know, even in the context of, of, of what they were trying to do, it's still just a bad even, even within the context of just these supernatural creatures, the rules that are put in place for them are so damn stupid. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, but yeah. if you are, are a lycanthrope mm-hmm. and you don't turn into a werewolf if, a, if there's something obscuring your sight of the moon, mm-hmm. what the fuck do you think that means? What that means is <laughs> yeah. as long as you can hide from the moon, you'll never yeah. turn into a werewolf. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so that makes no goddamn sense. Right. Lycan- lycanthropy is supposed to be a fucking curse. Yeah. A curse. Yeah. You can't hide from the curse. It comes no matter what you do. It's like to 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 put to put it in a, in a, in, a, in a slightly crude way, but a hopefully not a misogynistic way. It's like a woman hiding in the bathroom for a week, thinking that that's gonna that's gonna keep her from getting her period. Yeah. I'm sorry, but no, yeah. that's not the way it's supposed to work. Right. Yeah. And it, Von Helsing, it it's as if the people who thought that the movie was a good idea also thought that the best version of Hercules was that series in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Folks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's raise our eyes, let's look toward the horizon, and let's try to get a little bit better than that. Yeah. I'm not saying it's horrible mm-hmm. to want to do something in that vein, right? but no. don't pretend that what you're making mm-hmm. is going to be serious, is going to have gravitas, or is going to be the kind of thing that makes people go... <gasps> Wow, mm-hmm. that really got to me. Because it ain't. <laughs> yeah. It, at best, can be an amusing little thing. Yeah. yeah. And remember, Von Helsing is the movie that introduced us to Vampire Baby Water Balloons. Oh, uh, yes, the up. Vampire Baby Water Balloons. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, and the, the crossbow of infinite bolts. and yeah. <sighs> Nevertheless. Yeah. So, my fear is that this shit will become Von Helsing writ mm. large over several different movies before it fails and crashes on itself and is no longer mm. viable. Not that I don't think that that's probably what's going to happen anyway. I know, yeah. I think it's going to fail miserably and it's just going to go down in flames in some hideously mm. amusing way. But they've announced that this, this forthcoming film that comes out here in a few weeks, Dracula Untold, is going to be the first in this. Okay, now that I didn't know. I mean, I, I knew I would knew about this film coming out. Yeah. But, um, so if we're using that as what's in the beginning, uh, basically what we're looking at is it looks like Dracula is pretty much the, is, is the hero slash sympathetic main character of this franchise. So if that, so, so we can probably already not go Not necessarily. Ahead and, Here's the thing. I've watched the trailer. I mean, I'm not saying it looks bad. I'm kind of interested in seeing it. I'm kind of interested I'm in I'm very seeing interested it, in know. seeing it. Um. I like the actor they got to play Dracula. True, true. Here's what I'm hoping they're going to do with Dracula Untold. If they present this as essentially the origin story of Dracula, this I mean, because I'm I'm all for variations. Remember, they oh, did yeah, it brilliant. Yeah, they did yeah. brilliant stuff with Penny Dreadful just recently. Yeah, yeah. I'm all for this oh, yeah. because I'm I'm sorry, but I'm not somebody who's no, sitting there going, like, hey, it's got to it's be, gotta be yeah. a certain way. It's got to right. be this. It's got to be that. Me, no, I me, like yeah. variations because you can surprise me that way. Mm. What I'm hoping this story does is show us quote unquote the origin of Dracula. Mm. And have, as the story goes on, you, you start out sympathizing with him for many reasons. Mm-hmm. But then by the end of the movie, it crushes your sympathy. What I'm hoping is that the movie has the balls to, by the end of it, mm-hmm. 
you, at the halfway point or the two-thirds point of the film, mm-hmm. you're feeling a bit conflicted because of what he's become and what he's doing. And then by the end of it, he's a monster. He's the monster. Because you know? in the Universal series, the original series, he's the one monster you never felt sympathy for. You know, right. you thought he was cool as hell, but you never felt sympathy for him in the way you did for Frankenstein Monster, the Wolfman, the creature, you know, that right. you felt sorry for those, you know, but not for, you know, the vampire until, you know, the more modern trends, you know, modern literature, modern cinema, the vampire was for the longest time, you know, not the creature that was sympathetic. There might be a certain uh, admiration of the vampire's, you know, power over others, you know. It's, 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 well, I'm not saying, so I'm his, saying there's his, something his in the character people or, identified with or that fascinated them, but they didn't play on people's sympathies. That was not true, what Dracula true. ever did. Yeah, so... I, I I agree. I'm hoping I'm hoping very strongly that that's the direction they go because that is uh, it's 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 a difficult thing to pull off. Well, no, actually, it's not that difficult a thing to pull off. You've just got to commit to it, mm-hmm. which is take a sympathetic character yeah. and turn him into a monster. Yeah, that can be fantastic, mm-hmm. and it gives you the capability to in future stories, if this is going to become some shared universe, for there to be this way to try to appeal to the character mm-hmm. to try to elicit some kind of emotional response from him yeah. other than, you know, the, the monstrous side of him. Yeah. And that, that could be interesting. I'd like sure. to see. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping. But uh, we'll see. Uh, I guarantee you right now the movie will get horrible reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, the general uh, horror movie fanboys who, who this movie in a lot of ways is kind of geared toward uh, will despise it. And uh, it'll, be ju- it'll, it'll be just like... Uh, the Wolfman remake all over again, and uh, I'm I'm okay with that. I don't mind it. It's just uh, if it weren't so predictable, it'd be great. <laughs> if the if the if the the reflexive knee jerk uh, hatred yeah. of whatever new thing comes along wasn't so. I mean, it's it's the thing I've complained about before, probably on this podcast, which is the thing that tends to kill genre stuff. Mm-hmm is not whether or not it catches on with a larger audience outside of the st- the people who it's mm. geared toward to begin with. It's whether or not the people who it's geared toward to begin with run it down yeah, and just, just destroy kill it. Kill it in its cradle, you know, yeah, no, yeah. because they just, yeah, it's, yeah, I know. That's always the... I'm not saying it's going to be good. I'm saying, fuck, give it a try. Yeah, give it a shot. So so I assume your your overall question to me was what are my, like, what, what are your thoughts? What do are you my th- thoughts? Do like, you like, think it's, I, I, like I say, I'm of two minds. I, I don't want it, Von, I don't want to go Von Helsing. Please, God, no. If so, I'll rip it from well, stem to stern. But I also, there's a part of me that really hopes for something kind of neat because I'd love to see, yeah. you know, House of Dracula. You, uh, a new version of House of Dracula to a certain degree or House of Frankenstein I think it'd be great I'd love to see uh, a new uh, screen Frankenstein I think it'd be mm-hmm. amazing mm-hmm. I mean I, I love so many different versions of those tales yeah. I'm always up for a new mm-hmm. one but mm-hmm. well um, you put my mind at ease a little bit or uh, you know just by the fact that I didn't realize that this new Dracula was considered part of that because well they apparently had not uh, come clean about it until just a few weeks ago they, I see well, they kind, there'd kind of been questions and people and people weren't sure so. well I was when the news broke that they were planning to do this as far as you know that they were they were coming this idea of this shared universe I mean I immediately sent the link you know to all the genre and horror fans that I, you know, knew around Facebook, you know, it was just kind of a group thing. And basically in it, I said, you know, boy, this has the potential to be so awesome, but will probably not be, you know? And, uh, uh but at least I gave it that. You know, I said, I said, but I said, I'm, I said, I'm going to be interested to see 
what they do with it. And most of the responses I got were, oh, this is going to be shit. You know, this would be, be terrible. But... Because, you know, let, let's be honest, because that was a, that was a, a, yeah. a bunch of fanboys. Yeah, but you're, but you, uh, like I said, you put my mind at least a little bit because you didn't say the, the, the word that I thought you were going to say when you were, when you were talking about your fears for it was I thought you were going to reference uh, the Mummy films, the most recent. The, oh, the, God. But, but see, because what my fear is, see, you're talking about your fear of it's going to be Van Helsing. And my fear is not I, not the, the these executive suits saying, "Hey, let's make another Van Helsing," because I don't think Van Helsing was all that successful. Unfortunately, it wasn't very was successful. It wasn't very successful. What was successful were those mummy films, and that's what I would be afraid to be saying. Like, man, that's when God, we knocked it right. out of the park. We've got to get what's his name back in here to direct it, and you know, I hadn't and, thought about and, that, but you're right. And thinking like, but but I mean, honestly, if what you're saying is true about this Dracula being the first, it doesn't look like that's the the, the feel that they're going for, and that encourages me. I'm like you. I don't think it'll be successful enough that they're ever going to get it off the ground. They might make one more film in the series, and that's and then they'll give up on it. I would love to see it go far enough to finally see a creature movie, because I've all the talked about remakes. Yeah, that is the one that I've always been kind of the most interested in, mainly because of all the names that have been attached to it over the years have been some very some very powerful. You know, oh yeah, some people well, I mean, they were talking some, about having my God, John 80s. Landis and well, Guillermo no, no, del Toro. First, and, first you know, there were there was talk back in the '80s when they first started. Kicking it around that Jack Arnold would direct the remake. No, I, okay, I forgot which, that. Yeah. Which was something that went on, and then after they said, "Okay, well, no, he really mm. couldn't direct it." He was still on board when Carpenter was talking about Carpenter. Directing. Yeah, I mean, it's like so many names have been attached as possible, you know, and it's yeah. just never gotten off the ground. And uh, so that would, and like I said, it probably would never get far enough to. But I would actually like to to see what somebody would do with a modern, you know, version of the creature. But I'd love to see a creature yeah. of the Black Lagoon remake. Yeah. I mean, that that film. Is 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 such an iconic classic that I'd love to see, but I'd I, I would love to see another take on the thing. It would be it would be kind of neat. But but I'm like I know we think agree this. If you're gonna if you're gonna launch something, if you're gonna try and you know go don't go into it half assed. You know I mean do, no, commit yourself in, to man. quality. And don't do the usual universal thing about how you know it's like well we want to milk this franchise but we don't respect the people who actually like it so we're going to just kind of shit it out here in like a you know in like a, <laughs> a really you know lousy kind of you know where we're gonna like. You know, well, that was that, that was von Helsing. That was yeah. that, that's what that was. And yes, you're right. The, the those god awful mummy films are the same way because the you know it, the mummy films are remakes of the damned Indiana Jones movies. Sure, and that's all yeah. they were. Yeah. And if that's what you want to do, I understand. But it was being done by Universal, and they were talking about it as a remake. They were talking about it as mm-hmm. the mummy, as in, yeah. And it's I mean, it's not. The mummy yeah. was never an adventure film, and to turn yeah. it into an adventure film yeah. immediately tells you. Oh, we don't really trust you to yeah. come to a story right. told in mm. not not even in the old style, but we don't even trust the story itself as it was done yeah. to be updatable. So yeah. what we've got to do is we've we got to hang all archi- this other yeah, stuff on. We don't it. think this archetype has any resonance in a modern with a modern. Exactly. Audience, they don't. You know, they don't. Like they, don't they, they don't. They don't trust the story. And this mm. is something I say so often. They do not trust the story. They don't trust its underpinnings to actually draw an audience. So they pile on they mm. place this thing upon it another thing upon it and they they fill the screen with what they think the audience is hot for whether or not that's good for the story they're attempting to quote unquote tell sure. and i put air quotes around <laughs> yeah. tell because yeah. often they don't manage to tell a damn story <laughs> no. at all no 
All right, I just I just wanted to know. Yeah, no, no, it's a very that, interesting. I'm glad no, to I see that you're not you're not falling into the. Oh, I'm no, the, I'm not. The, the I'm not just totally dismissing it out of hand by any yeah. means. You know, like I said, am I? You know, I'm I'm going to give it a shot. I mean, like I said, I, I even before I knew that about this Dracula film, I was already wanting to see it. I was like, well, this looks like it could be interesting. You know, it's like, like it could be not bad. You know, so. I just I just want to know because, like I say, the, the I hold out hope, but I don't know. I don't know if my. Uh, finger crossing is going to uh, <laughs> going to elicit any actual positive things upon the screen. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, after after having seen two, not one, but two kaiju films that were not made in Japan that actually had great respect for the genre that were very well done in just the last two years with Pacific yeah. Rim and the new Godzilla, I'm like, hey, I can be surprised, you know, <laughs> like I can, you know, anything's possible, so. <laughs> Uh, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Well, I just yeah. wanted to I wanted to take your pulse on that. So yeah, yeah, no, no, that's that's definitely. All right, I, well, uh, I tell you what, let's take a quick break and then uh, we will come back, folks, and we will dive headlong into the Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. There are a lot of podcasts out there that do science fiction, horror, and fantasy movies, but how many of them are done by somebody who's been watching this shit for half a century? Hi, my name's Terry Frost, and I do the Martian Drive-In Podcast, a podcast where I look at silent films all the way through to movies from the second decade of the 21st century. I look at fantasy, horror, and science fiction, and talk about them, sometimes with the guests, sometimes by myself, but always with an eye to the stuff that maybe has slipped off your radar, if it was ever on your radar. So go to marsdrivein.blogspot.com or type Martian Drive-In Podcast into iTunes and enjoy a bit of decent genre talk. And keep watching the skies. Sergeant, if Christ and saints are out of fashion. Satan's all the rage these days. Listen, boy, you keep getting on my nerves, and I'm going to give you another kind of house to look after. One with lots of bars in the windows. We'd better reinforce that door. Take the lamp. I can just imagine the sergeant's face when he finds out. Craig, can you hear me? Sergeant! They're dead people trying to kill me! Message for you. Look, I know it sounds silly, but is it possible? I mean, could a film fail to catch an image for any reason? Well, a ghost, maybe. Thank you. 
All right. Um, Living Dead in Manchester Moore. Let's start. Uh, let's start by saying this film came out in 1974. A magic, magic year, 1974. Lots of interesting, lots of interesting things. Um, I'm going to have to. Uh, well, let's run down the titles real quick. The yeah. various and sundry titles. Like I say, it was released on DVD over here first under the English title "Let Sleeping Corpses Lie," which is a pretty good title. It is, yeah. And uh, it's better known now, of course, as the Living Dead at, at the Manchester Morgue or at Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. But it is many, many other That's, titles. Yeah, some of them are quite amusing. Well, yeah. Let's. Uh, there's just okay. Let's go with the banal, the Living Dead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Living right, Dead. Boy, right. that narrows it down, doesn't it? <laughs> and now the ridiculous. Oh my God! Yeah. Zombie three. <laughs> Zombie three. That wasn't even the. That's got to be a video title, right? I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. How about Invasion of the Zombies? Weekend with the Dead. No yeah, weekend with yeah. Okay, now that at least makes sense. But then it goes and dives down even further, and it's it's. Oh, like, I know, I know. I mean, okay, mispronunciation theater. Let's go with. Uh, no profane. No, I'm not even. Gonna, I'm just going to translate it. Don't profane the sleep of the dead. Okay, now, which like is sort that. of a variation that's, on that's sleeping court. Yeah, I can see yeah, it. Yeah, I can, yeah. yeah, that's not bad at all. Yeah. But here's a weird one for you. Yes, it is. Here's a title under which it played drive-ins in the yeah. '70s for years. The title it played it played <laughs> under was "Don't Open the Window." Which makes absolutely no fucking sense whatsoever. There's <laughs> no reason for this film to have a title called "Don't Open the Window." But it, but it, uh, but it joins the vast legion of don't films, which is the great trailer <laughs> from uh, Grindhouse, you know, that made the play yeah. on the hoe. And yeah. I, it's great because on the Blu-ray, all of the trailer radio spots and, and trailers, you know, that are yeah. included are from this "Don't Open the Window" title. There. <laughs> <I know. laughs> don't, don't, yeah, that's just. A... <laughs> Even sillier. Let's read a couple. Oh, of oh, oh, okay, okay. The Mask- Massacre of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. No, that's not too bad. Uh, it's not too. I mean, bad. it's generic, but it's it's. In the Weekend with the Dead, brunch with the dead. No, that's where brunch with the dead. Breakfast with the dead. Breakfast. See, here's the thing: breakfast with the dead and brunch with the dead. That just sounds like somebody was making stuff up. I don't think I can't. You don't think until it ever I played see, any, until you actually see a poster. Until I see poster. Yeah, because that's art. the trouble with IMDb uh, yeah, is too many people get to you know. I don't know about cause, that because I'm sitting there thinking like, sense. why not buttered scones with the dead? You know. <laughs> 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 That'd be the British title. Would be, but, but, There's yeah. always room for Jello with the dead. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? What's okay. all this then with the dead? Yeah, it's like this. <laughs> What's all this then? What's all this then with the dead? What's all this then with the No one, just... no one likes a zombie invasion more than I. <laughs> yeah. Well, but except for my wife. Yes. <laughs> and some of her friends. Well, okay. Fact, most people like fact, a zombie most, invasion yes, more than more I than I. But yeah. <laughs> That's beside uh, the point. But you know, you're you're probably right. I mean, some of these things, like, come on, yeah, show me show me a movie poster somewhere that says "Brunch with the Dead," you know. And, and I'll, <laughs> I'll, but yeah, I, I don't know that I can believe that one. But okay, let's let's let let's okay. let the the title let's madness let the cap, go. Let's let the sleeping titles lie. But, but this <laughs> exactly. stuff too, if you get the Blu-ray, what's funny is if you get the Blu-ray. You know the the title card. I'm going to call it for a living. It's so obviously phony to yeah. begin with. Like you know, it's it's because you know we've got the opening credits montage, and then just suddenly throws Living Dead in Manchester Morgue. That's basically like taking the logo from the from the DVD art, you know, and just throwing it up there. So it's it's like very obviously not you know not the title. But and I, and I don't know the reason behind that. I, I would be mm-hmm. curious to know, but mm-hmm. it, it it is quite odd. Hell, it could all be licensing things, and maybe in order, in order for them, because like I said, it's called Let Sleeping Corpses Lie on Netflix. Maybe it was like, hey, in order to come out with this on Blu-ray, to get through licensing bullshit, we've got to give it the title. I mean, it could be as simple could as be. that, or could as complex be. as that. 
But. Well, let's talk a bit just just briefly about the director, uh, Jorge Grau, uh, who is uh, who actually when I hear him say his own name, it doesn't he's sound. Like, like, he's almost like saying like like he's using a J sound, like he's saying Jerky, like he's saying Jerky, and then there's somebody else on the extras that even says it in a different way. It doesn't say Jorge or Jerky; it's like which Jorge is, or something. I mean, it's just terrible. so. It's, yeah, I so don't know exactly. Mr. Grau, give us a call. Uh, and let, us, and <laughs> let, let us know. Let us know uh, what how do you say your name? Is it, is it because you're from some different area of Spain yeah. that your name? Because I would have thought it was with an H, like a Jorge, you know, Jorge. I would have said too, Jorge, yeah. Jorge or whatever, but it sounds it sounded to me like he was saying Jerky when he said his own name, but. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I've only seen three movies made by him, this uh-huh. one, including this one, and they were all made right right next to each other. Uh, this film, uh, The Legend of Blood Castle, which uh, has also been released on DVD over here. doesn't ring a bell, but I'm wondering if I've seen oh, really? it under another uh, title. You, but... you may have seen it under, under another title. Uh, it's a pretty damn good mm. film. It's a, it's an Elizabeth Bat- uh, Batore film. Mm. So you've got the, the, the Bloody Queen, essentially. Mm. Elizabeth Batore. Oh, with you, Alan, Alan in it. Uh, huh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't but, know. But uh, it's a pretty good that. movie. You may have seen it under a different title. Like, uh, there's Blood. It was known under the title Blood Castle, uh, Legend of Blood Castle, uh, The Bloody Countess. Hmm. Um, the Legend of Blood Castle is the title that I think it was released okay. on DVD uh, on uh, over here. Okay. I'm pretty sure, anyway. But it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a pretty good film. Not a great one, but one that I've enjoyed. And then um, also uh, around the same time, uh, 1973, a film called Violent Bloodbath, which I got my hands on uh, through the special antenna just uh, just recently, actually, and watched. Uh, it's uh, it had Ooh. it has Marissa Mel Marissa and Mel. Ray, yeah, and it's one that I was curious about, and I really did enjoy it. It's pretty yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. good little film. Not you know nothing earth shattering, but well worth a watch, especially mm-hmm. for those curious. It's called Violent Bloodbath. And it's known under some other titles too, but that's the one you'll find it most often under. But uh, yeah, generally, and I see, when I see Marissa Mel's in a yeah, film, yeah, I want definitely. to kind of check it out. It's check uh, into a dark room, just you and yourself in the video player. <laughs> player. Yes, yes, and the remote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the remote, it's digital. I can't wear it out. <laughs> but uh, those are the th- only three films of his that I have ever actually. And he really watched. didn't direct a, a huge amount of films. I mean, you know, thirty no. some odd credits he's got there. And a lot of them are documentary shorts mm-hmm. and things of that nature from early in his mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other films he's made that I'm curious to see and just haven't gotten around to. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Code of Hunting and uh, <clears throat> Blood, Blood and Passion. Passion. I'm curious about. Yeah. Uh, but I just haven't gotten around to them because they're just not that easy to find. His yeah. his directing career kind of stalled out around '78. He uh, he made a couple of films. He made four or five films in the '80s, and he even directed a film in 1994. But uh, that's how long it's been. Yeah. You know, it's been wow. 30 years. Wow. So yeah. it's been 30 years since he directed a film. And last I heard, he was still alive. And yeah, he's he's still kicking. So um, I think that would be 20 years. Don't make me don't make me that old. 94. To- Oh, it would be just twenty years. Oh yeah, God, you're right. Twenty years. Holy crap! I'm I'm so, I'm I'm from the future, man. Do not fuck with me. I know what happens in the next ten years, so I can tell you. And it was horrible. You don't want to know. You know the scariest thing about that is that's actually means it. I mean that's actually around the time I met you. Actually, about a year before that, oh, yeah, you're right. really a couple of years. So. You and I have now known each other over 20 years, which is that in itself is, is frightening. <laughs> that is, uh, let us not speak of this again. No, no, we will, that, that subject is closed. <laughs> we, we, we must allow the, the, the listener to the podcast to think that we are very young and handsome. That's right, that's right. Neither, neither of those words fit us any longer. <laughs> no. If they, if they ever did. <laughs> uh, but uh, with this film, 
it's fascinating because uh, on the on whichever either the DVD release over here in the states or the Blu-ray, you will find interviews with the director. And Mr. Crow is very forth, forthcoming about how mm-hmm. this how this film came yeah. about, and yeah. it's that the producer was interested in making a version, uh, his own version of Night of the Living Dead, but just in color. Yeah. And uh, Growl and a few of the other people involved were like, well, we don't want to just copy somebody else's film. So what they did is they mm-hmm. kind of copied it, but they did their own thing. Mm-hmm. So if you look, and sometimes if you squint real hard, you will see the outlines of some of the, some of the things that happen in Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. in this movie. Yeah. But what's neat is that at a certain point... It really does fly off in its own direction. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it stands very much apart from. Oh, yeah. From you know, it definitely takes its own own hint. Yeah, you're right. Kind of, you're right. Some of the certain early things, the way they're set up, kind of have a little bit of that feel of, uh, of, of not the living dead. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely not a derivative film by any means. No, no. But it is. It is kind of amazing that that's that's what uh, what that's what pushed it. It's 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 what we've talked about before. It's the the thing I love about European cinema from uh, especially the '70s and '80s. Which is we call I refer to it as ripoff cinema, but I don't mean that as a pejorative. I'm not no. trying to be insulting. No, I really no. do like these movies yeah. because they were they were essentially going, oh, that made a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. I bet you we could write its coattails right to the right yeah. to the rich house. Well, Let's it's like that. we've talked about. You know, sometimes they make the conscious thing of like, well, you know, we're going to capitalize on this. But we're going to take it in a different direction. What I love, and of course we talk about what we love also, were the ones who probably all the time thought they were really making a by the numbers remake, but just because of their own culture, they they, they make something like night, you know, like nightmare nightmare city, you know, make something oh, know. just so totally insane at the, and all the time thinking like but it's its own monster, yeah, without, without realizing, thinking the whole time, no, we're still, you know, this is no, we're just doing a zombie. We're just doing a. We're, we're just making Dawn of the Dead here or whatever. It's like no, you're making something totally insane that you don't even realize how insane it is. But, well, this film yeah. may fall into that category because mm-hmm. this film, uh, it, it, what it does borrow from Night of the Living Dead is its basic is its basic premise, but mm-hmm. what it does with it is something quite different. Great. Yeah, really is.
let's let's attack this by uh, I think what I'll do is I'll run through a, a kind of um, overview of the film, okay. a, a plot synopsis. Sure. And I, I won't. Uh, I'm not going to ruin the ending of the film, but this is a film I want people to mm-hmm. to to kind of uh, discover on their own. I think it's sure. really well worth their time. If right. you haven't surmised that already, we both really love this movie and. We'd really like you to love it as well. We hope you get to see it, and we don't want to ruin it for you, right. but we want you to be able to listen to us talk about it. Right. So, right. Um, the movie begins with uh, George, played by uh, actor Ray Lovelock, uh, closing down his London antique shop and heading into the country for the weekend uh, on his motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Um, now, at a gas station, once he's off into the country, his motorcycle is accidentally damaged by Edna, played by Christine Galbo. Uh, she is en route to see her sister, Katie. Uh, Edna agrees to take George onto his destination in her car while his motorcycle is being repaired over the weekend, mm. but insists on getting to Katie's home first because she's worried about her sister. Mm-hmm. We then learn that the reason that she's worried about her sister is her sister is a recovering drug addict. Mm-hmm. Had a little problem with the horse. Yep, yep. And uh, she... Uh, her sister Katie has been dragged out into the countryside by her husband and has been kind of kept there. Yeah. yeah, who's a photographer, a nature photographer, or some other kind of photographer, mm-hmm. but he definitely does a lot of nature photography. She's been kept, uh, Katie's been kept out in the uh, middle of nowhere away from uh, her ability to get to heroin for about a year. So uh, her husband's trying to help her in her recovery. Mm-hmm. And he kind of watches her like a hawk wherever she goes and, you know, to make sure she's not sneaking some... Sneaking stitches. something. Yeah. So uh, they become they kind of become lost, and George stops to, to ask for directions from a farmer and discovers that uh, there's the, that these local... The, these uh, people from a nearby uh, university are using an experimental ultrasound device to uh, kill off insects. It's this weird thing that emits this um, mm-hmm. bizarre hum. It's this big red machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he kind of gets an explanation from them about what they're doing. And he's like, okay, whatever. He's he's not, he, he doesn't, he's a bit of a, one might almost describe him. He's very acerbic, you know. He's it? very acerbic. Yeah. And, and he's a little bit, got kind of a little bit of a hip, you know, he's, he's got yeah. a hip city guy and out here among the, the locals. Here, I, you know, well, the out amongst the yokels, I think is how he would think about yeah, it. I mean, exactly. he might be a little bit even more caustic about yeah. what he would what he would call them yeah he kind of taught you know kind of tosses off mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. You know, what i would refer to as a, a kind of hip but uh, disdainful attitude about the whole thing yeah and ask for directions um while george is away from the car edna spots this strange kind of dis- disheveled bearded man who soaking wet and he attacks edna he comes at her mm-hmm. Uh, in a scene that very much looks like the scene at the beginning of Night of the Living Dead. That was one of the key scenes there where... where Because she's in the car. Yeah, I mean, it's very much a Barbara and her first zombie in Night of the Living Dead, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, she's able to get away, and the the wet man doesn't chase her. And as a matter of fact, once she finds George and starts explaining to him what happened, the guy's nowhere to be seen. Right. She describes what he looks like to George and to the farmer who's giving him directions. And the farmer says, well, it sounds like you're describing Guthrie. Yeah. This guy who was a local kind of uh, ne'er-do-well hobo who drowned just a few days ago. Mm-hmm. So you could, it couldn't have been him chasing you. He died. But that sounds kind of like who you're describing. So that's kind of weird. Yeah. She's convinced that her attacker was this guy. She just She's like, look, I saw him. I know mm-hmm. he's not here now, but I saw him. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this is that George... 
doesn't believe her. Yeah. But he doesn't just dismiss it. He rattles right. off three or four different reasons why he's yeah. like, like yeah, look, true. it's it's getting yeah. dark. Yeah. You're a little rattled. Mm-hmm. Maybe the, you know he's like maybe the guy was just trying to get your attention. Maybe the guy couldn't speak. I mean, come on. He, yeah. he, he rattles off these things, and, and what he's saying is very plausible. But hey, we've witnessed this ourselves, right. so we're like right. we know exactly what's going on. Yeah, I love that kind of thing. Yeah. One of the unique things about this movie for me is the look of the living dead in it. These zombies that pop up. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go ahead and. Say the man's name, the the the, the oh, yeah. Gianetto De Rossi. That's right. As soon as you said, that's just yep. that's a mark of quality right there. That man is amazing. The special effects artist, mm-hmm. uh, aka makeup artist. I guess you would probably better be better to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many I mean, how many films has he worked on? And you just have to you act some some of these things you can you can't even find in the credits of the film itself. Right. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who did uh, oh. Horror Express. Zombie. Uh, well, now that was Rise. Ruiz. Now that was. Oh, that was Ruiz. That's yeah, right. Was, yeah, I was gonna say along with Ruiz, Gennaro De Rossi is like the king of. Yeah. He's kind of like the he, he was for Italy while Ruiz was for the Spanish films, you know. But now actually, De Rossi uh, was a few years from doing his most brilliant work, which is Fulci's films, which is Zombie Beyond. Yeah, yeah and The Beyond. Yeah, and now, House what, by the Cemetery. I think, I think the stuff he did for The Beyond is some oh of the God. most amazing stuff amazing. that he yeah. ever did. It's just incredible. Is he the fellow who did uh, for Fulci that he did he do the uh, no 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 that was Carlos Rambaldi. I'm thinking about the uh, the stuff from uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the skinned dogs that Fulci got into trouble for. You're right. That was that Carlos was, that Rambaldi. Was, that was Rambaldi. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I would just like to say that um, the actor who plays the the reoccurring character of the kind of wet mm-hmm. man. Uh, Guthrie, the the uh, the first zombie we see who pops up again later on in the film, is very very interesting. Doesn't have a single line of dialogue, right. but his eyes very and good, yeah. he's so expressive in what he's doing. Even though he he's he, let's just say he's one of the most expressive slash blank faced zombies yeah. in the I've ever yeah, seen. Uh-huh. He's so effective, you, yeah. and yet at the you same time... You can almost time, read thoughts going on. Yeah, there, yeah, you know? yeah. You can see what he's thinking as he does things. So this is not some brainless monster. This is a this is a plotting... Well, that's... I mean, we can go... I mean, you know, obviously some of we can go and get into it now, but I mean, the, about the nature of them. I mean, because obviously, as any zombie film, one of the things you're going to talk about is the nature of the zombies themselves. Right. What are they like? What type of zombie? And there's some things about these zombies that we don't see... That are pretty unique. Yeah, you know? completely unique. Because makeup never wise, seen... I love the red, the contact lenses. I love. Some oh, people might have found them extreme. I think they're fantastic. I don't the think little, it's extreme at all. Yeah, the I little think it's shattered wonderful. red contact yeah. lenses in their eyes. I think it's a great touch. It's it's just it's just amazing, and I, I think it's weird that we're never given. A, okay, there are some. There's a point at which in the film where uh, it's possible that Guthrie may have been captured on film. Mm-hmm. Now. The, the movie never lets us know whether or not it's just that there was never a good angle and he was never in the shot when these photographs were being yeah. randomly taken by yeah. this by this timed camera. But what is interesting is that maybe he couldn't be photographed either. So maybe there's some other element to like it as well. there's almost something ghostly or supernatural about it. Right. Because here's something that some people probably have a problem with this. I didn't after I thought about it, after I kind of got used to it, because... The fact that every time you see, okay, Guthrie, the, in it, you know, the way he died was by drowning. Right. So every time you see him, he's wet. He's and, wet. And, and Growl even says in the, in, the, in the scenes in the extras and said, like, you know, so we always had to douse him with water before. Okay. Well, his character had died, a, you know, a few days, days before, before and he would have already been buried. There would, there's no logical reason for him to be wet all the time. And it's almost like, it's almost like he's that way because that's the way he died, which makes him sort of more ghostly 
I mean, because they, they, we're kind of thrown a supernatural, I mean, a scientific explanation for why these zombies are here. Yes. But at the same time, there's something, this other side of them there that, like, you know, to, to, to me, I mean, some well, people mo- might... The movie mixes things. Yeah, some people might say, well, it makes no sense that he's wet all the time. But to me, I thought that was kind of a neat touch because I thought it kind of made him a little a little more, of like, like I said, he's almost like he's a ghost at the same time that he's, uh-huh. you know... And it's a, also as if he, the Guthrie character, is some kind of... Some kind of leader, and yeah, and, which is which is yeah. very interesting. It's not something that you would see again. I'm going to say until Romero's Land of the Dead, where you had a character, a kind yeah, of lead zombie that, kind of a, that mm-hmm. in that film it's presented as these other zombies are following him just right. because he's in motion, right? But in this film, Guthrie seems to be someone who is the only one we see demonstrating an ability to wake other dead bodies up and the way he does it is fascinating that's one again something we've never seen in any other film is there's a zombie laying in a coffin or a a corpse laying in a coffin coffin. he he gets some blood off the wall that's dripping from somebody that's been killed and a a living person's been killed and he goes over to him and he he touches their eyelids with the blood i mean it's almost like a spiritual ritual that brings it it's like like, it's like some kind of bizarre ceremony yeah yes it's it's so neat because you could think of these, and it has never it never bothered me at all that these are essentially unanswered questions because the film just presents them as yeah. the this is how this is happening very yeah. matter it's it presents it in a matter of fact fashion it doesn't allow you time really to ruminate on it because the point of Almost what to the point is to happening make you wonder is it really the scientific thing that George thinks it is that's making all this happen is right. it or is it not just like in Night of the Living Dead and I think that's another element right. that Tiff Night of the Living Dead is in Night of the Living Dead we're throwing little clues as to uh-huh. what maybe is happening but we never know for sure we never know yeah. for sure now here's another aspect of the film that I think that is really really interesting even the first time I watched the film I realized that this movie is going way out of its way to draw our attention to a kind of life out of balance. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to yeah, say Koryana yeah. Scott. Even with the opening right. montage is kind of a Koryana. Actually, the opening montage is kind of a Koryana Scott kind of thing. It's the kind of thing where you're looking at it and you're seeing the, as mm. uh, the, 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 the opening credits montage, as we're getting mm. the credits and we're watching George drive his motorcycle out of the city and into the country, because mm. the rest of the film takes place completely in the country, right. we are shown pollution mm-hmm. and filth and uh, decay and all these hideous dead things, de- I mean, rats and and garbage piles and all this all this detritus of, of human existence in the cities and how hideously polluted everything is. And then once you're out in the country, it's like a breath of fresh air. And as a matter of fact, he emphasizes this by having uh, George as he's driving along. It's kind of cool. It looks to be like it looks to be like the the fall, really, because it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So he's got on a coat, and he's got uh, he's wearing a hat and a uh, a muffler or a, a scarf pulled up over the lower part of his face. And at first you're thinking it's because it's cold, but once he's outside the city and in the countryside, very pointedly we see him pull just tug down the scarf from his mouth. And kind of breathe open mouth and really take yeah, a really probably, strong yeah. breath of air once he's out in the country. Once mm. again, pointing toward the reason he was probably had this probably had this pulled up over his face was just because of the stink or because yeah. of the pollution or because mm. of you know the car exhaust, which were shown again and again and again. Oops. Fascinating because mm-hmm. he's going way out of his way. Grau is going out of his way to show 
what we're doing to the environment, yeah. what we're doing to the mm-hmm. air, the and earth. We, and we have this... And the scene. water, especially the yeah. water. And we have this scene of this completely naked woman, like, street, like you know, Strip it's the it, 70s, yeah. 70s fad of streaking or whatever. Right. And it's great because, and, and it's interesting because it's the only bit of nudity in the whole film. I know. And But she's, like, running naked through the streets, but it immediately cuts to people just up in a double-decker, kind of a British bus, just looking off with an absolute, you know, and almost, almost as if they're looking right at her and not reacting at all, you know, just people right. just looking with this kind of bland... Empty, staring out of bus windows, you know, and that. Is, so I thought that was just a, a you know, cool, just yeah. you know, taking the bus yeah. ride home yeah. or whatever. Yeah, you would expect the juxtaposition of a film that starts off in the city and ends in the country to show that, that there be a point to that. In other words, there's mm-hmm. often a a, a, mm-hmm. a, a bit of uh, sometimes over obvious symbolism of going from the you know the, the city to the country, with the country being shown as the more positive or the more uh, spiritually uh, cleansing or the... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 to put it just uh, in stark terms, dirty versus clean. Yeah. Uh, and, and in this film, that is presented... It, it's, it's presented that way. We're looking at the filthy city mm. packed with people and just yeah. disgusting with all this garbage and stuff. Mm. Then you get into the country and... It's beautiful. It's lush and it's green mm-hmm. and it's just lovely. But we're once again, over and over again throughout the movie, we're being shown man interfering with nature in different mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's funny. You think about um, these two characters who don't really become Edna and George don't really become a romantic pairing because no. things are happening so fast. There's no right. time for that crap. <laughs> right. There's no time for the two of them to. You know, have that quiet, quiet right. moment together where we, mm-hmm. where love blossoms, or at least mm-hmm. affection. No, for the most part of the story, George a bit, George a bit of a dick. He is, but when the chips are down, he comes He's through, and that's one of the neat count. things about his character. In a way, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the guy from. Uh, um, the Hanging Woman, the main character of the Hanging Woman, yeah. how he's very can be very callous and cad, and and, yeah. and, and and like I said, kind of kind of a sardonic. Yeah, not really all that likable on the surface, but yeah. But then there's many times in this film when it comes to protecting Edna or comes to basically showing some courage in the face of things that he's always he's always there. You know, he's like his so. Which I just thought that was you know he's he's he can be counted on. Like I said, when the chips are down, you know, and I thought that was an interesting aspect. Or he's a very interesting character. But uh, talking about the with the zombies too, we should say right here, like you know, this is not a zombie horde movie. I mean, it's like for whatever, oh, no, whether no. it was budget or or intentionally with the story, there's not a lot of zombies in this, and so I think that that's what makes the fact that they are more so interesting as zombies. You don't really notice it or you don't think about it. It's right. not a detriment because they make the zombies themselves. One thing we we should say about them too is that they are. Um, they're very powerful, you know, and zombies aren't always like that. A lot of times, it's zombies overwhelmed by sheer numbers, but they're not depicted as being individually physically powerful. These zombies actually have super strength. You know, they're actually actually more powerful than your average human. And it, and it, and your and one of the more interesting things is okay. I have always for for the first few years I knew this film. Mm-hmm. I didn't concentrate at all. As a matter of fact, I let kind of the det- the details in the movie that can point to a possible supernatural mm-hmm. uh, explanation just slide by me, because what fascinated me about this was that I wanted to concentrate on that the movie gives you this scientific reason. Yeah. These corpses of the recently dead are walking around and attacking people and eating their corpses, mm-hmm. eating other people, other living people. 
because of this ultrasonic machine. Mm-hmm. Because man is it, interfering was, with nature. It was made to destroy insects. This, right. And I love this man. This machine is awesome. It's just such a, let's a just, okay, well, let's, let's, big let's red revolver rotating. Let's, let's, point, let's point out that the, the, the lush countryside, the beautiful yeah. fields. Oh, my God. The the, it is just absolutely beautiful. This is, is a, by the way, the, the Blu-ray shows this off oh, to great effect. Yeah. It is a yeah. truly beautiful film. It's beautifully photographed, yeah. beautifully shot. There are a number of, there uh, almost every location that it's shot on, and even the sets, that are, the ones that you know have to be sets, right. are absolutely lovely and yeah, wonderful. They are. They're, they're, they're colorful. They're they're well photographed, and it's really, really, they're, the, the scene of the... Uh, the, uh, the attack when those photographs are being taken. That's an idyllic setting. I mean, it's just a beautiful... Like, there's this little stream, and uh, there's that uh, waterfall that you can see off in the background, mm. off to the left. And there's just so much beauty in this. And in, when we're introduced to this giant red ultrasonic insect-killing machine, it's this big red thing sitting yeah. in this yeah. beautiful, lush green field. And worked on by these guys in these white lab, you know, kind of right. like white suits, you know, that uh-huh. uh, made you think of like the crazies or something. Or, you know, <laughs> it, it may, yeah. the, uh, the, there's, there's no way to get around that there's this giant man-made red thing fucking up this beautiful green hillside yeah that's yeah. that's i mean there's it, the con- the contrast yeah. couldn't be more stark oh yeah if they tried and uh and i think they are trying obviously oh, yeah. so yeah. it's it's one of those things where the the director is drawing your attention to something even if you don't catch it consciously in the first few times i watched this movie i didn't think that hard about it so it's not something that mm. You, you go, oh, okay, big giant red machine. Because yeah. the machine looks like a normal but, piece of farm, farm machine, right? right? Exactly, yeah. That is like been, that it, that, mm. I mean, it doesn't look odd or strangely mm. built or anything right. like that. Yeah. It looks right. Mm. It looks like something that would be a piece of machinery. It doesn't look jury-rigged, right. jury-rigged yeah. or, or pieced together like something out of a post-apocalyptic film. It looks right. Yeah. And so it wasn't until I got to thinking about the the odd use of color in different parts of the movie and I oh wait just a damn minute here. This mm. is there's a reason it's a giant red machine instead of say a giant blue machine. Yeah. You know, it, <laughs> that, that, yeah. that's a striking contrast and there's yes, a reason it for it. If there are other times there are other things in the movie where there'll be uh the camera will move across uh like later on they're in a, a cemetery and the, the the camera will pan across something, and for some reason there will be purple flowers in the foreground. Yeah, right, yeah. And, and, things of the same. and it may have just been for contrast, mm. or it may have been a lucky accident, and he's like, well, I'm going to make sure I get those in the shot. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But there's this, there's this use of color that, in some cases, growl, like in the cemetery, is almost, because the tension is starting to ratchet up, you're in a mm-hmm. cemetery, and we're mm-hmm. talking about a zombie film here, right? So at right, some point, right. you're gonna, you know, as a viewer, you're cutting your eyes around the around the screen, looking at the image, wondering where the shit's going to come from, and your eye immediately gets drawn to anything that's purple or yeah. red or anything of that nature because you're looking for something to do, yeah, while waiting for what you know has to come. Oh yeah, well the film does a great job of. Uh, I love the way it builds. It it really builds an incredible atmosphere. Well, I, I mean, you, I think the film is you know it's it's a creepy film and it has you know if you let yourself let it take you, you know along it's it's and and get into if you're you know get into the atmosphere of it, uh, it the things it does with blowing like wind blowing through trees and and uh, I mean it just has a great sense of menace oh, no. because because really 
this is a gory film, but the first bit of extreme gore doesn't happen till about an hour into the film. I mean, it, this yeah. film really builds, does a very nice build up with with, and I love the way things. Some of the things he does with camera, real significant too. Like uh, he, people often in the film hear something before they see it, and the yes. camera does a thing of kind of zooming in on them, almost too into their, almost too right up to their ears, and kind of then pulling back as they turn to face, you know. As they as they hear the sound, yeah. As they hear and, and turn toward it, trying yeah. to find the trying to find the or, the origin of the sound and the pulsing sound of that machine. A lot of time is worked into scenes. Even sometimes when you, it's not necessarily that they're really hearing it, it's used right. also as something to build tension. That sound that that machine makes, and I love the way that some scenes start with a still camera where you're just looking at some location. Then it starts to move, and you realize you've been suddenly you feel like you're looking through like it suddenly becomes from just like you know you think it's setting a scene and then it'll start to slowly move in a way that makes you suddenly then feel like you're watching through someone's eyes that you're suddenly looking through somebody's perspective well growl very sometimes subtly and sometimes in a way that is kind of shocking the 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 cleverness with what he does because Mm -hmm. there's a He's, he's very good at framing his shots, and he's very good at knowing when to move the camera and how to move the camera. There's he, he's, a, he's, a re, he's really good at knowing mm-hmm. when to start with a master, and instead of cutting mm-hmm. away from it, slowly as the scene plays out, push in. Mm-hmm. Slowly get you closer to the characters. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. in a way that gets you more and more intimate with them. Mm-hmm. And he's also very good at, and he does this, he does this more than once in the film, one of the most interesting things you can do in a horror movie is to introduce a threat, but show us, show the audience the threat yeah. before the characters are aware of it the is. threat. Yeah, you're right. And the most brilliant time he does this is in the the sequence in the hospital later in the movie mm. when um, we have George and Edna go up to an elevator and push the button mm. waiting for the elevator to come up. Then suddenly the shot is from inside the elevator as the elevator rises to their level and we see them waiting for the elevator, waiting patiently for or semi-patiently for the elevator to arrive. But we see behind them what they haven't seen yet, which are zombies oh, creeping up yeah, the hallway. I think it's actually, I think it's actually Edna the Doctor. It's Edna the, the Doctor, doctor you're right. You're right. Which I know exactly what you're talking about, though. It is really great the way but that it's But it's wonderful because it is, it's an odd... It's, it, it, or get, is it, I'm sorry, I'm doing it to you again, but is it her sister and the Doctor that in this scene? Or is it Edna and the Doctor? No, is I it, think it, the sister's... It, I, it, it doesn't matter. But yes, I know the what you're saying. The point is yes, that the yes. shot is... It's it's brilliant because the mm. characters are unaware and that tension just starts yeah. to ratchet up because you know what's behind you them. know what's behind them and <laughs> yeah. you know what that it's about to start going down mm. and it's it's brilliantly done because it, it pushes you into their place you it, it's 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 that classic moment where somebody in the theater is gonna go look up behind you <laughs> he's behind you. <laughs> you you feel that that impulse yeah to to uh, to, to squirm, you mm-hmm. you you your your sphincter tightens up. You 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 grip the armrest. You mm-hmm. you you break out in a cold sweat because you know, mm-hmm. oh hell, oh hell, oh hell, they're right behind you. They're right behind you. Mm-hmm. It's 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 brilliant stuff like that. And there's a there's there, there's so, there's so many instances in the movie where something uh, something happens. There's there, there's a neat revert. There's a neat uh, trick they play later on where uh, we we're shown a we're shown a zombie getting uh, hit by a car and. Yeah. Knocked into the floor, knocked onto the, knocked onto yeah. the street, mm-hmm. and it's at night. And later on, another character comes up and goes over to it, and we already know, we already know as the audience. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, no, that's just you know that's the crushed zombie. She yeah, ran over, right. she ran over that earlier in the car, yeah. but 
it turns out that we're wrong. Yeah. They pull a quick one on us, yeah. and uh -huh. it's not the crush zombie. Yeah. And uh, it's things like that that are throughout the film that are uh, they're they're beautiful little things. They don't draw. They they, mm. they don't scream uh, directorial genius at you, but mm. they are because yeah. what they are is they're the kinds of things that you didn't have. That they, they, they you don't have to tell the story that way. Yeah. There's a dozen different ways to have filmed certain different things. That mm. that the the whole thing with. Uh, Putting the uh, putting the camera in the elevator, yeah, that's an ingenious idea, but that's not something that everyone is going to think of, and or or no one. Mm -hmm. it, it's 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 a it's a it's a genius move, and it's very clever. And the moment you see it, you realize, oh, that was I can't imagine a better way to do that. Yeah. But I can think of five other ways to do sure. it. They wouldn't have been as good, yeah. but mm -hmm. they're extreme. Now, also, you drew attention. You you mentioned earlier the the sound design. Yeah. Yeah. This is a movie that really, especially in the first two thirds yeah. of the movie, before all hell breaks loose. Right, right. The movie builds brilliant atmosphere in a lot of different ways. We oh, talked yeah. about how beautiful it is, but the sound design, the use of yeah. sound, mm -hmm. even in the the opening credit sequence when uh, there's no dialogue, there's nothing but we're you know we're watching the the pollution in the city and the and the the garbage and the things like that. Even then. The movie's working on you in subtle ways with the sound design. The the right. the the, you're, the, the mm. there are more than you mentioned earlier. There is more than one instance in the movie where we hear a sound mm -hmm. before the characters on screen do, right? And then when they notice it, it becomes what drives the rest of the scene. Yeah, that is that's wonderful stuff. But there is also a lot of little subtle stuff, as you were speaking of earlier, mm. that kind of get under your skin or yeah. kind of point you toward this being a more tense and, thing that it might yeah. necessarily yeah. have been without those sounds. And I think that it's a... I, I mean, I, I always thought that what Fulci did with sound in Zombie and The Beyond was like so incredibly innovative, but this film was made about five years before Zombie. I think this film was a big influence on Fulci, what he did with sound, and I don't know of a film before this, horror film that did this kind of thing, what it's doing, where where you're hearing, you said this mix of like, yeah, sounds that, that shouldn't be there, like, that sound like, you know, but but build just such right, a, right, right. A, a tension there, you know, and I think it's a pretty amazing use of, of sound, and I don't know if it had a precedent really before. Well, I don't know, but I, I there's a, there's, there's kind of this bizarre, distorted, um, Kind of underwatery sound every time mm -hmm. Guthrie's on screen, yeah, yeah. like you're hearing water drip, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or uh, it, it's 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 things like that that just add to every and little you're thing. Kind of like you hear like a kind of a, what sounds like the zombies moaning, yes, but their mouths aren't open, and that's something that Fulci definitely used in oh, his yeah, zombie yeah, movies. Yeah. You know, where you hear these zombies. It's almost like a, it's almost a, it's almost a throat sound, yeah. and it's it's being emitted. It's like a, it's like when you see a, a cat or a dog make that that mm. that moan sound, but their you know their mouths are closed. They're not they're not. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no mouth movement mm. to indicate that a sound is being produced, but it's there, yeah. and it's that much more bizarre, and actually it becomes very creepy and, and unnerving mm. when you are looking at this thing make this noise, and you know it's making this noise. But there's no outward mm -hmm. sign of it making this noise, and with it being mm -hmm. this unspeaking, I mean, they they do not speak, they do not say anything. These are not uh, right. fast moving, talking zombies. No. That's not what we're dealing with here. Right. right. The these yeah. are these are creepy, creepy things, and it's the atmosphere of the movie that is uh, it's one of the main selling points. It really gets under your skin. I yeah. Would, 
Because, I mean, when they first go to that cemetery and there's just that wind blowing through those huge trees and just, you know, it's, oh, I know. Oh, it's just so creepy, you know, it just that, with, with, and, and, uh, and like I said, the scenery, just that whole valley, I mean, that whole thing with the, where this, where the first, where Guthrie first appears is just that, that, those, those tall green hills, you know, yeah. that, are, that, uh, just, you know, beautiful, but also just very so ominous too, you know, at the same time, so, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'll go ahead and say here that if any, you know, I know most of our, the idea behind our band, Beyond Nashies are usually, you know, Spanish films that were somehow had a connection to Nashie, and I think we got so eager about doing this that, that you know, I realized, <laughs> so if anybody's, you know, if anybody's out there waiting to call us out on it, or if you're looking for the connections to Nashie, there actually aren't any in this film. I but couldn't find a single one. I know, and I finally got to look at the cast, I was like, oh, there really aren't any connections to Paul Nashie, and so y'all, y'all just have to forgive us, we just really wanted to do this film, you know, so... <laughs> But it is an interesting, still an interesting cast, though. Uh, definitely, uh, definitely an interesting cast. First, let's talk a little bit about uh, Ray Lovelock, who's mm-hmm. the who's the main uh, mm-hmm. main uh, character. He's a uh, he. <clears throat> I think he was a really good looking guy. Yeah, and he does great. I've, se- I've seen him in a number of movies. Uh, he was a he's an Italian actor, so of course you know Ray Lovelock is not exactly yeah. his real name. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, wait a minute. No, he was apparently born Raymond Lovelock. I'll be damned. He got an English father, so oh, okay, okay. So there you go. So call me wrong. Well, uh, this is the first time we've ever dealt with an actor who was in Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. So yeah, probably, keep that in mind. probably the last time. But probably yeah. I would have to say the last time. But I know him prim- where where I know Ray Lovelock from primarily. Uh, before I saw this movie, was in a number of Italian crime movies, mm-hmm. uh, Violent City, which is one of my favorites. Live like a cop, die like a man. Uh, da, 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 let's see, Almost Human, which is an amazing film. Really? If, you've, if you've not, oh, have you ever seen Almost Human? No, I've not. Oh my lord, Thomas Milian. It's an Umberto Lindsay uh, crime movie from 1974, same year. Now that I think of it, Thomas Milian, Henry Silva, Laura Belli. It is well, it's written by Esterno Gastaldi. So take that, you know. T- oh well, that's take yeah, that definitely. I was about to say Gastaldi's awesome. So, but uh, another film that. Uh, is well worth checking out if you if you enjoy Ray Lovelock is Queens of Evil from 1970. Uh, yeah, I saw that title. That actually kind of yeah, I actually finally saw that uh, just uh, about a year, only about two years ago now. When uh, f- uh, friends and fans of the show, uh, the uh, oh, Haiti Politoff, uh, she was in uh, um, um, Count Dracula's Great Love, I think. Yep, yep. Queens of Evil is uh, an Italian film. Um, Ray Lovelock is the is the male lead. He plays a, a hippie who. Uh, Let's just say runs into three beautiful sisters, and things get confusing and weird. Oh, is it sort of like uh, what's the Clint Eastwood film, uh, The Beguiled, or is it sort of that sort of that's or, or House of Psychotic Women? <laughs> so that's a, sort of that kind of dynamic there. A little, but not not really. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting film. I finally saw it because uh, one of the co-hosts of Hello, It's a Doom Show sent ah, me a copy of it. Excellent, because uh, he was just raving about it. And he, those and guys he are so generous. So generous. Salt of the earth. Uh, oh, he was also an emergency squad. I love emergency squad. It's another piece of Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah, that's that. an Italian, uh, uh, Italian crime. Now, he is the one who awesome. may have been in... Let me we'll scroll up a little let me see some more of his titles, because I was thinking there was one I saw that... Uh, he was going. in Murder Rock in 84, which oh, is Mur- a, a Fulci film that apparently I'm on, I'm the only one that loves. <laughs> I love Murder Rock. I oh, yeah? Uh, now, I have yeah, heard, I have heard it's, y'all, it's, I have heard y'all mention that before. It's I have kind of a slasher. It's kind of a cross between... Slasher crew out of the Giallo, so okay. it's, it may be more of a slasher than a Giallo, but man, I love Murder Rock. It's just crazy. Uh, it's crazy as hell. But uh, it should be Murder Disco, really, from this <laughs> freaking music that's in it, but it doesn't matter. Uh, but Ray Lovelock is 
really interesting. He's somebody I enjoy watching, and he's quite, and he's quite good in this. Uh, even dubbed, he, he's very Cockney. His dub his dub is very Cockney. In and this. I want to yeah well okay that's that's another thing I want to talk about here is okay. the dubbing is fantastic in this film. A lot I, of people the, have bitched about the. About see, the I don't, I don't know why because I, don't I personally know why think either. it's terrific. Because okay, I think most people are. I think they're actually speaking English in the film. Yes, they are. Okay, yeah. but it's done so well that I because you know I saw the interviews with Ray Lovelock on the Blu-ray and he's got a very Italian-sounding voice. And I'm yeah. sitting there thinking, like, but the dubbing is so good, and I'm just like, I, I, there were times I thought, is that his real? Is he really doing that accent? Because my gosh, he, you know, if he is, he's really pulling off an incredible. You know, but whoever did the dubbing on all the characters, I mean, it's man, it's just. Uh, well, it sounds like Arthur Kennedy. I think he did, did his, his own. own. So, but but uh, and and actually, that's funny because that's my one com- that's my one one complaint about yeah, the film is this sort of this this sort of internet vanishing Irish accent that sort of comes back in at certain moments and yeah, then disappears. Yeah, it kind of uh, it kind of ducks and weaves with. Well, it, yeah. Arthur was let's just say not at his at his best days at that. Uh, yeah, Ar- days, Arthur so. Kennedy. But we should point out that uh, we didn't get to this point in the plot, but. Um, yeah. There's a the the once once things go sideways and uh, uh-huh. Katie, uh, Edna's sister's husband, is killed by uh, Guthrie, the mm-hmm. the first first zombie we see. Mm-hmm. Suddenly the police are involved. Big mm-hmm. shock. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the uh, the kind of head cop is played by American actor Arthur Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Now Arthur Kennedy, he died in 1990, but he was a hell of an actor. Oh, he was. was. He did great a work. A lot of great movies. He was in one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. Arabia. Yes. I knew you were going to say yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was also yeah. in uh, one of my favorite Anthony Mann westerns, Man from Laramie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he was in Elmer Gantry. I mean, this is a guy who was in a lot of truly great movies. Um, mm-hmm. Barabbas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peyton Place, if you yeah. want to call, if you want to call that a great movie, yeah. <laughs> it's certainly a popular movie, whether great or not. Is uh, Bend of the River and The Lusty Men mm. and uh, Cheyenne Glass Menagerie and yeah, yeah, yeah. The Window, it's a, which is just a great movie. But by the seventies, his career had fallen on to uh, harder times, and he was do- doing TV movies and mm. Itali- you know Italian crime movies, and, and mm. he ended up doing he played the inspector in this film here. Uh, yeah. boy, the same year he did the Antichrist too, which is one crazy ass Euro it, horror film. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen no, the Antichrist? Nineteen seventy four. I have not. Also known as the Tempter, uh, Alberto Di Martino, um, oh, Mel Ferrar, Anthony Kennedy, completely freaking crazy <laughs> freaking movie. Uh, that's one I need to watch again because it's kind of it's an it's it's an Exorcist ripoff. Mm. All right, it's it's really interesting. But Arthur Kennedy's in that. Uh, I would agree with you. Arthur Kennedy does clearly dub his own voice. I know what his voice sounds like. I've seen yeah, too many yeah. movies. He's dubbing his own voice, but he is affecting a... Was it Irish or Scottish? Uh, it sort of varies. It's to be from, Scottish. Yeah, it varies from scene to scene, I think. You know? so and it's, it's, yeah. Most of the time it's okay, but there yeah. are times when you're like, okay, wait a minute. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that that's where you wanted to go with that particular. Yeah. that particular word. Well, so. growl, growl was, you know, Growl was happy to get him. He does say that, you know, that, that he, you know, he definitely had a drinking problem, and yeah. you know, and and and, and uh, um, you know, the thing is, here's where we get to kind of why where I have, I guess, you know, one of the few things that rubs me a little the wrong way about the film is his character. I mean, he, Kenny does a fine job. He's kind of got a thankless role because he basically oh, he has does, to play yeah. a guy. Who is unremittingly, unrelent—I mean, just relentlessly an asshole—and and and just with no and clueless, you know? Really, I mean, now you don't expect him to to jump to the quick conclusion that the dead are walking, you know? But he's so—I mean, you, there's times when he's he's so utterly 
you know, relentlessly pursuing George and Edna as like these Satanists slash cannibals oh, slash that there's some poetry you want to say like, and how did you, be- how did you really become a cop? You know? And, and, uh, and of course, Growl has said in the, in the in credits, he said that he discussed the character some with Arthur Kennedy. And one of the things he did have, he did tell him that, you know, your car- guy is a character who, you know, never got the big promotions, you know? Yeah. And so maybe we're supposed to see that as why is that he's really not all that good at what he does. And that's, and or he's not all that good a cop. And that's how he ended up in this little tiny being the, you know, the head, the head, you know, cop in this little tiny town or something. And, he, and he's and so just, quick, so quick to jump to conclusions that he's so frustrated yeah. with, uh, I mean, so clearly, I mean, he says it all, he almost yeah. says it verbatim. It's I, I freaking hate you. Cause you're, you're a long haired hippie freak. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, just might as well yeah. be bashing him with a bat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or dousing yeah. him with a freaking water hose. I mean, yeah. it's that blatant. He really mm-hmm. hates him. I mean, he's and this character. I, I I would almost say that uh, of all the characters in the movie, his is his is painted with the broadish the yeah. broadish brush strokes. He is, yeah. And he he's essentially just a, a fascist in a trench coat. I mean, yeah. that's really all he is. Yeah. And it's t- it, it's interesting. The movie very smartly the the script mm-hmm. never gives you a a sequence where you as an audience can say, okay, that's ridiculous that he no longer believes mm-hmm. that there are zombies. Mm-hmm. The movie never presents right. his character with enough evidence exactly. yeah. he to see with his really believe it at yeah, all. To where, right, right. Never, at no point does he see yeah. anything that cannot be rationally yeah. explained. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great because mm-hmm. that's the only way to make a character who's got to be that dickish yeah. and that... right. Completely contrary yeah. to the facts that the audience knows mm-hmm. work. It's the only way they'll work, mm-hmm. and they they do a good job. The film does a good job with giving you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, there's yeah. more than a few times in the movie when you, you just, just want to like... go, "You fucking asshole! You're going to get everybody killed." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he he's he, he he's he's interesting, mm-hmm. and it's 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 fun to see him. The the female lead is played by Christina Galb, uh, Galbo. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope I'm saying her name correctly. Yeah, but you she's, are. I think, I think, yeah. she's a Spanish born actress, uh, and uh, quite a pretty lady. Mm-hmm. Did not have a very long career, but no. she was in some interesting films. She was in um, the oh, House That Screamed. This yeah. was the one I knew. On one of these, one of these people oh, had a film on their credits that I just have to see for the title. She was in a film called "Suffer You Prick." <laughs> oh, I know from nineteen eighty-seven. No, that's the yeah. most awesome title ever. So uh. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I saw that, and I knew I was going to bring it up. I didn't yeah. know if you would. I couldn't remember who it was in the film. Once we got to it, I couldn't remember which one of the cast members was in it. And I thought it might have been Ray Lovelock, but she was in. Yeah, a film called "Suffer You Suffer You Prick." That's yeah, pretty awesome. <laughs> which is which is great. But you were talking about what was another oh, one? Oh, she was in the uh, House That Scream, which is uh, yeah, which I still have not seen. And all that, and all really, that. but I see that mentioned. So many times on our cast list. It's and probably I mean, one that we need to cover as a Beyond Nashi yeah, at one point because, should. in a lot of ways, it is the, uh, it, it's kind of the, the first of the of kind of the modern, uh, Spanish horror, that started and really flowered in the seventies, in, in in a lot of ways it came out you know the the year right after Mark of the Werewolf. Right. So it's a film that, in a lot of ways. Kind of paved the way for a lot of things that came after okay. it. And it's uh, the the director is a guy who uh, also made uh, years later he made Island of the Damned in '76, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which is another film worth checking out. So House of Screamed is probably a movie we ought to check yeah. into. Yeah, I'd and, like to see it because like, I do see it come up a lot. And I've, I, yeah, I thought a lot of yeah, times like well, I 
Christian, got John Mulder Brown in it. Yeah. Well, Lily Palmer. And, yeah. And it's uh, it has a few faces that we'll recognize. It's got Victor Israel, of course, oh, yeah. who we haven't talked about in a number. Of, we haven't talked about we Victor, haven't seen Israel Victor in a while. In a while we haven't seen him in a movie in a long while, but he's in that. But um, Christina was not in a lot of movies. She's got uh, roughly you know thirty some odd credits, and her her career kind of kind of stopped being anything big in nineteen eighty. She did a couple more things in the in the in the eighties before. I guess she it was almost a semi-retirement when she did Suffer You Prick. So <laughs> she's like, you know, I can't top this. This is my masterpiece. This is this is the this. this is the end of it. This has to be the end of it. Oh my god! But, but yeah, uh, but you're right. She's and, beautiful, and if, beautiful woman. She's a beautiful woman. Uh, she's she's most effective when she's being uh, harassed and mm-hmm. uh, is terrified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's very good at conveying fear on the screen. No mm-hmm. problem there. But. Uh, I, I don't think that she was the best actress. I think mm. that she was okay. She yeah. got the job done. Yeah. And there are certain scenes where she's very effective. Like I say, I think she she's very good at playing. She she would she's a pretty decent screen queen. Yes, yeah, she but, is. She's pretty good. Too. But yeah. beyond that, I don't know that. I think that there's a reason her career wasn't particularly long and deep. Yeah, so, I agree. And boy, that may have been the wrong phrase to use. <laughs> I'm trying not to sound quite so misogynistic. But you will suffer, you prick. <laughs> I will suffer. You're right. I'll suffer you. <laughs> oh Lord! But I mean, uh, you know, I mean, she was also in uh, What Have You Done to Salon? Yeah, that I have a, seen. That which is, is a, a which one. is a truly yeah. great mm-hmm. film. So, mm-hmm. not not a bad cast yeah. at all. Yeah. But it's it's a it's an odd <laughs> it's an odd combination of 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 uh yeah. things when you have Arthur Kennedy running around and he's he's the one who's who's dubbing his own voice but sounds the least effective. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> God, it's true. Uh, well now here's an odd thing. The the, the the actor who played uh Guthrie, the, yeah. the, the, the wet the wet man, the wet zombie. <laughs> yeah, wet zombie. I have seen in a bajillion films, including Verhoeven's Flesh and Blood. Yes, I saw way. that he was in that, which I just picked up on Blu ray. I love that movie. I don't have it on Blu ray. I'm, yeah. I'm well, it, I mean, it literally just came just out, came and out? It's, okay, yeah, okay. and it's. Uh, but I just love that movie. But I've seen him in several mm-hmm. spaghetti westerns mm-hmm. that were, you know, that you know, some, some, some of those are shot in Spain as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let's see. But he was also in. It happened at Nightmare End, aka Black Candles, which is the. Uh, 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 oh no, I'm sorry. It wasn't called Black Candles. It's. Uh, it happened at Nightmare End. Which oh, is it's a Eugenio Martin film. Yeah. It's uh, one that's popped up here. For, we Judy, have. We've been, that's another one that we've had mentioned here that we might ought to see sometime. Yeah, we're yeah, together Because yeah. that one's come down, came up a few times in our discussions. And it's uh, it's called a candle for the, a candle for the devil. Pardon me, not black can, not mm-hmm. black candles, but candle for the devil is the alternate title for that okay. one. And uh, he's in that, and he's in uh, creation of the damned and the possessed. Uh, creation of the damned is uh, one that I know of, but I haven't been able to watch Patty it. She- Patty oh, Shepherd, Patty Shepard, Craig Hill, it, yeah. And uh, the possessed is is uh, one that I have seen. It's uh, the Amando Diasorio uh, Exorcist ripoff. Is this also? Is this the one that was Julia Siles? Also, was she like the only film she did that wasn't? Yes, uh, that doesn't exactly. have a yeah. yeah, yeah. That doesn't have a, a Nashi and it wasn't connected to Nashi. Was yeah, yeah right, I thought right. that was it. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's also it was released on DVD over here as Demon Witch Child. Oh, okay. okay. So same movie. So he's a he's a very good actor. He never has a single line of dialogue, and he's kind of the lead zombie. Yeah. He's very creepy, but he, he had yeah. a long he's he had very a magnetic long career. Yeah. The thing I don't understand is the difference in the bodies. Those have been horribly mutilated, whereas those look like they were intact. 
What the hell did they burn the bodies for? That's what I want to know. Couple of drug-crazy maniacs. Oh, worse than that, Sergeant. Have you ever come across any of these Satanists in your investigations? No, but I've heard about them. You, you don't think. They vandalize cemeteries. They profane tombs and, you know, hold black masses. That's why you've got your cross. It looks to me like a pretty typical case. Uh, if I could only get me hands on them. Um, so we've talked about the sound, makeup, directing, acting. Uh, so I want to just touch on the script itself, I think. Okay. Dialogue. A dialogue itself, I think, has got some really nice little touches in there things where there didn't necessarily have to be anything cleverly said or anything that but that i noticed uh uh, like one of the scenes where george leaves edna edna's been injured and george leaves her with the the woman and and it looks like her her daughter who's obviously i guess retarded or something you know but she's you know that's that's that um um oh and the uh, at the gas station at the gas station and you know they leave he's having to run off you know having to dash off again and so he's leaving edna in, in, in their care and you know, right. just says like, "Look after her," and then he he's getting kerosene to go burn the more of the zombies' bodies. You know, because and uh, because they've discovered that that, that fire works. will can take care of them. They will burn them. So he takes off, and I love where the uh, the uh, lady, you know, she's trying to look after Ed, and and it's kind of in hysterics. She's sort of gone off the over the edge at this point, and and the woman says to her daughter, says, "Get her something to drink," and and the girl goes to get something to drink, and she says. She says, no, water, not the whiskey. She might not have any money. <laughs> I, just that was I know. A, I thought that I was an awesome line. There's um, so many well, there's so many little bitty things like that in it. Yeah. Well, like uh, in the one where George is, uh, one part I love too is when uh, George, you know, he keeps going back to harass these guys who are running the machine. These guys are always in their suits yes. that apparently are there 24 hours a day that are just always looking after this <laughs> Well, they're, 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 they're really into murdering insects. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the guys, when George is again kind of harassing him about what they're, you know, doing and, you know, about the machine and when fakes him, one of them says like says like look it's gotten rid of all the he says it's gotten rid of all the pests except for you <laughs> yeah except for you <laughs> but it's just one of those quick little throwaway lines that's that's yeah. that's uh, but one of my favorites really lines that I think was actually I mean not only clever but I think was kind of a nice little touch was you know we've talked about Arthur Kennedy's you know his his police inspector and you know and how uh, what a kind of a jerk and he sort of runs roughshod over all of his men all of his men are kind of portrayed for mostly for humorous effect I mean they're all sort of portrayed as a bit inept a bit bumbling you know and they're just small town policemen who aren't used to dealing with anything more than you know a, a cat up a tree kind of thing you know but there's one part where one of them gets stuck with George and Edna surrounded by zombies they're trapped you know and and which is a wonderful first of all yes. a, a wonderful sequence oh it's it's to me it's the highlight of the film the whole cemetery sequence I think basically right, yeah. and they made as good that's as, to me as, as good as the 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 final segment in the hospital yeah, is yeah yeah the whole that whole lengthy piece in the in the cemetery mm-hmm. uh that's that's a you're right yeah. it is this it is the it is the best sequence of the movie and it's another part where george kind of i mean he's already been harassed to hell and back by the police but it's another part where he kind of proves sort of shows like the the his inner integrity is that he he makes sure the cop, because the cop, again, is just kind yeah. of like looking around like, whoa, what's going on? You know, he's just not used to this kind of thing. And George actually makes sure that he gets into safety as well as Edna. He actually grabs the cop and, and pulls him in, you know, to, to they get inside. And I think it's kind of nice because there's one point where the cop is going to try and get out, find a way to, to, to rescue him. He knows he's left his walkie-talkie out there, and if he can get to it, he can call for help. And George is trying to talk him out of doing it, and the guy says, "Maybe you'll because think, he doesn't want him to get killed." Yeah, and the guy says, "Maybe you'll think better of policemen after I do this." And he doesn't say it in a mean kind of way. He actually says it in a really like you know, like he's actually 
feels bad, kind of. It's almost like he feels a little bad about the way they've treated George, or he's kind of seen. Well, now he knows that George well, now is right. Now he knows the truth. This and guy's says, not a murderer. And right he now. actually says he, says, he says, maybe you'll think different of the police if I can pull this off. And again, it's just, I just thought that was a great little bit of dialogue. It really so, is. so I think the script's really well written. You know, it's a lot I, I agree. And, and one of the neat things that it pulls off is it does, as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. start, you start off thinking George is a bit of an asshole. Yeah. And then as the, as the film progresses, he does. It, it, it's very clear that even when he's being brusque mm-hmm. or a little uh, a little uh, too forceful, mm-hmm. he's doing it because he's trying to save somebody's life yeah. every time. He's and, trying to do something to help somebody yeah. else. And really, the whole his whole getting stuck in this position. Now she, you know, she hit his motorcycle. True, but his whole getting stuck in this town with her. I mean, it kind of the script does a good job of. There's not too many parts where you say like. You know, oh, people, this this doesn't, you know, people logically wouldn't do this. People, I mean, they actually kind of lay out the whole time why they have oh, to yeah. stay there. And also, his, and, and it's part of his character that he might gripe and complain about it all on a step along the way, but the whole reason he's there is she keeps, he keeps helping her out when she needs help. You know, like he could have, he could have left. He could have left long ago, but he agrees to take her to, to see her sister, which, you know, gets him even further involved in every step along the way. He, you know, uh, taking her into the hospital. There's one part where he, he, you know, she wants to go see her sister now that they've taken her sister to the hospital. You know, all these things he doesn't have to do, but he keeps doing it because ultimately he's not that bad a guy, no matter how much his surface kind of brusque exterior is, you know. And, and again, it just kind of gets him deeper and deeper involved in this situation he can't get out of, you know. And it's it's a very, very neat story. Very well, good storytelling. Well, in that, the, uh, the neat storytelling aspect of things, one of the things I was talking about earlier is how at the beginning of the film, the first few minutes of the film, after Edna and George meet each other and they're uh, driving along in her car because his motorcycle has been knocked out of whack, mm-hmm. the uh, they are behind uh, a truck yeah. that won't let them pass. The the, the, the truck won't let them pass right. along. The, of course, it's these little British little British roads. Right. Yeah, yeah. And the truck is a big box truck and it's clearly marked mortuary. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Now. While they're trying to pass this big box truck mark, mortuary, we're hearing on the radio this thing about um, this this uh, news report on on, on the uh, radio about uh, it's, a, it's a radio broadcast playing that's uh, speaking about uh, ecological problems, which draws you know our attention to the to the pollution stuff that we saw underneath the opening credits, and uh, all the all the, the the person on the on the radio is talking about how all these these problems are being exaggerated by environmental activists. Mm-hmm. And then we're behind the truck with mortuary, and they're finally able to pass this thing. And it's just another one of those things. It's like so. All there's all, everything is uh, about death. Mm-hmm. All this stuff yes, is suddenly you, about yeah. death. Mm-hmm. But what's neat is that would have been neat on its own. But then later on, that box truck is the truck that's, up, that's yeah. going to be transporting some of these mm-hmm. uh, bodies that are becoming zombies. Mm-hmm. And you see the truck again as these. Bizarre glass top. It makes a great use of the. You hadn't even talked about the weird glass top caskets that's used a really neat effect. Yeah, which is really interesting. Which almost hints at something else because you're right. Those are really strange coffins. You're right. It almost makes you feel like you're almost kind of half expecting there to be some kind of like conspiracy or something. Like somebody knows what's going on here or something's expecting this. Now the movie weird. I want to be. I want to be very clear. The movie never draws anything right. like that out. There's right. not. It's. It's just something that you. Once you've seen the movie, a couple and it of doesn't times, even do the obvious cheap thing with these glass top coffins that a lot of movies no, would have done. And then you expect it sometimes. There's times when people did, look at them and you're I did waiting. Expect it. 
and it doesn't, which I think is kind of cool too. It never goes for the cheap, cheap kind of thing that you nope. you, know, you automatically think, oh, a glass top coffin. I know what kind of scene we're going to get here, and, and you don't. You know? And that's another thing I'd like to mention is this: this is not a film that ever goes for a cheap scare. Mm-mm. No, it doesn't. There are no. I can enjoy a good. There cheap There are no scare. thrown cats. Yeah. Yeah. There are no. Yeah. There exactly. There are no thrown cats. There are no uh, big musical stings while something right. jumps into frame from the left or the right. Yeah, nobody grabs somebody on the shoulder and, you know... And, <laughs> yeah, and in, in and extreme yeah. close-up and yeah, turns right. them toward them. <laughs> Nothing like that. The slowly descending hand, yeah. The, the, first of all, the pace of this film wouldn't support that kind of thing because right. he's, not go- he's going for a very steady pace. Mm-hmm. The movie doesn't reach any kind of frantic pacing until that final segment. Even the protracted sequence in the uh, cemetery and under the cemetery mm-hmm. uh, that we were talking about earlier with the cop, that is not a frantic sequence. No, no. <clears throat> that is a scary, well-paced yeah, sequence yeah, of people really uh, of these three people trying desperately mm-hmm. to not get killed. Right. But it is not some kind of... Uh, there's nothing action set yeah. piece like about it and the reason they're trapped is not because they do something stupid and it's not because the zombies are super fast it's because the zombies have enough the zombies actually do things because it's obvious they have some sort of consciousness or they follow right or at least guthrie does as their leader the zombies actually do things to trap them and put them in that situation where they can't get can't get out so. and that's another thing is you'll notice after guthrie is done away with mm-hmm. the zombies never exhibit that kind of that's right of kind of planning or forethought ever again. They just kind of become these ravenous kind of just things that just, you're right, yeah. Which is another neat little thread that could have been teased out if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. The movie is packed with sharp, interesting detail that doesn't need to draw attention to itself, but it's there, and sometimes, like, the color scheme, it it affects you subliminally Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. if you're not drawn to conscious attention. But even if even if you don't think about it consciously, and there are other things that the more you start thinking about it, point toward possible other elements that are a story we're not being told. Yeah, yeah. Which I, which I think is I think is I, neat I as like, well. I like that too. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, I can't remember exactly when the DVD "Let Sleeping Corpses Lie" came out, mm-hmm. but whatever year that was, that's when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. I had heard about it for years, but mm-hmm. I had never seen it. I'd never picked it up on uh, bootleg mm-hmm. tape or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had heard about it for a long time, and uh, let's just say it had kind of been built up in my mind, but I was not disappointed. Yeah, me <laughs> I was not disappointed. Uh, I still, to this day, really, really love this movie. I uh, do. Remember, this movie came out what three, three years. Yeah, three years before Dawn of the Dead. So we're talking about a genre at that point that, yeah. that was more about. There's no, yeah. there's no long string of zombie movies between Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. It was after Horror Rises from the Tomb, but zombies were only just a small part of that, uh, of, of, of the overall Horror Rises from the Tomb wasn't really a zombie movie. At one no. point, the well, evil could, forces create some yeah. zombies, and you have kind of a little bit of that feel of. But well, it's you could point to uh, the Blind Dead movies. Yeah, I was gonna say the Blind Dead movies might but, be. That's another film that you know because the way that soundtrack, that's that music, you know, the theme, yeah. the score uses voices and things. That might be one of the the few precedents to this film as far as the use of those kind of uses of sound in a horror movie yeah. would be the Blind Dead films. And uh, there are the possessed or zombies that were in Horror Express. Right. Right. But. It's not as if 
well, let's just say it's not. It's not, it's like, not like now. <laughs> it's not like now, and it's also not like it was in 1979, 80, 81, 82. Exactly. When you know zombie films, there were four or five zombie films a year. Right. Right. Nowadays, there are even more than that. It's clear that you know in the early 70s, Night of the Living Dead was, made a lot of money, and it made a lot of money everywhere. Anything that's that popular, mm-hmm. I'm still surprised to this day that there wasn't a huge wave of zombie films. Yeah. In the yeah. early 70s. Yeah. I mean, that, really were, yeah, that were, really were direct rip-offs of Night of the Living yeah. Dead. That really did yeah. just kind of took a while. It was really thing. Dawn of the Dead that kicked that, kicked that off. Exactly. But you're right, Night of the Living Dead made millions, you know, but for some reason... It, it 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 wasn't it, it the the build up you know the influence of that was slower felt whereas Dawn of the Dead really kicked off the huge uh, you know huge, yeah. the, but um, the a huge wave of zombie films but uh, no I, I I think this film is uh, is definitely one of the early early just very very well done zombie movies yep. um, I would actually I mean I, I would probably you know were I to ever you know make a list of the the best zombie movies of all time you know it'd probably be in my top five I mean I think it's right up there with Romero's two first two zombie movies and Fulci Zombie, you know, I think it belongs yeah. in that topper, top, that upper echelon of the best. best I've, zombie I've always kind of referred to it as a, an, an easy top ten in zombie yeah. cinema. Yeah, I mean, it definitely. really is extremely good, mm-hmm. and it's one that uh, for a film that kind of should reek of the seventies. Mm-hmm. In a weird way, it's kind of timeless. It's not really, it's not really dated. It's not dated, it's not dated in a way like so many so many films yeah, are. You know, yeah. from that time, no matter how much you enjoy them, that has some like seventies things that you can't help but grin a little bit at. And this one doesn't really, not really rife with that. Yeah. I know, which is really kind of strange mm-hmm. when you think about mm-hmm. it. But it does not. Have... Maybe because of its setting in a in a village that probably doesn't change. You know, kind yeah. of it doesn't, as opposed to you know. So in the seventies, you know, you're not going to have the discotheques. You're not going to have the hippies hanging out in their pads. You know, smoking. You know, so you don't have those kind of things that that you know you're. Dealing and once you set it out in the country, there you yep. start getting that kind of feeling of some place that just stays, you know, that's that probably stays the same for years. Well, here's what I got to thinking about is uh, this is not this is a movie that hasn't been remade, right? Although the more I think about it, this movie with almost no changes at all could be remade today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even have to change the whole idea of a big piece of farm equipment that's yeah. being used to. Right. ultrasonically kill insects. Yeah. You could keep that you idea. Could. Yeah. You could use the same descriptive dialogue out mm-hmm. of the scr- out of the movie we just watched mm-hmm. to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you could you could set it in 2014 for God's sake. Yeah. It's very it's oddly timeless. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I had thought about that, but I think you're right. I think it is. I think it really doesn't does not date date the way so many movies do from from that time. So, and I don't mind a dated film. No, I don't either. Well, you always said that's, that's part. Of a lot of times, part of a charm of a film, yeah. Farmer's Pleasure, as far as this, you know. But yeah, that is pretty powerful to to, to have a film like that, that that like you said could be made today with very little very little changes, very few changes. Mm-hmm. But that's that's kind of neat. You, you run across that every now. Mm-hmm. I think you run across that about one out of every ten movies from the yeah, from, yeah. from the sixties or seventies is that really aren't affected by the passage of time. There's something about them that mm-hmm. is kind of out of out of time in a weird way. Mm-hmm. For me, this movie I, I always end up giving it eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, eight out of ten. I just think it's uh really, really good. I think it's uh strong across the board. Uh, the the flaws that are in it uh, that keep it from being uh, you know a nine because sometimes it, for me it feels like maybe it ought to be a nine. It's funny you're you're ver- you're, you're saying verbatim exactly what I was going to say. Oh, I really? gave it an eight, but I, there was so many times I almost pushed it to a nine. Yeah, I'm just yeah. like 
you know, it just almost <laughs> there, but a nine is on a level that just, yeah, that's maybe just know, even more yeah. just, uh, but, but it's, but it's, it's close. It's pushing, it's, it's a close. very strong eight there. It's pushing yeah. the, pushing the nine close there. So. All right, well, people, that's uh, Let Sleeping Corpses Lie, a.k.a. The Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. A.k.a. Um, Brunch with the Dead. <laughs> Brunch with the Dead. I do not believe it. I do not believe it either. I want proof that it was ever called Brunch with the Dead. <laughs> I, did we have proof it was called Don't Open the Window? Oh, yeah, well, actually we do, because like I said, on the Blu-ray, yeah, the radio yeah. spots and the TV and the, the movie trailers are actually from that Don't Open the Window, which is the most senseless... What's funny? You might as well just call it "don't." You know, it'd be more accurate to just call it like "don't, don't back into the motorcycle." You know, whatever. You know, don't. You know, don't go into the countryside. Don't go visit sis. You know, go visit junkie sister. You know, or something. Don't go visit junkie sister. What's funny though is if you think about it, weekend with the dead. Yeah, works. That I can. That I can work. Yeah, that I can work with. Yeah, yeah. Because the whole thing does take place over Mm -hmm. this week, just a couple of days. Yeah, right. And you could even take. You could even call it. Give the title. The was the Australian film lost or not lost? A long weekend. The long long weekend. weekend. Yeah, you could give it. You could almost give it that. You're right. That's an interesting. Yeah, but uh, folks. We love this movie. We'd yeah, like to know what you think about this movie. Mm-hmm. If you would like to give us your opinion on this film or any other film that we have covered, or hell, whether or not Universal should be making horror movies again, mm-hmm. let us know. Give us a give us your opinion by writing to mm-hmm. us at nashicast at gmail.com. We will uh, be glad to read your missives yeah. out and uh, discri- dis- discuss them and uh, critique them and mm. uh, pick them apart and make fun of you and do all kinds <laughs> of stupid, silly things the way we always do. Oh, let me throw one at you real quick since you asked me about the Universal sure. franchise. Uh, I know neither of us are big Eli Roth fans. What's your opinion? What's your uh, opinion on the news that he's doing a tribute to the Cannibal films? Uh, he's Green, already made it. It's it called Green, Green Hell. And, Green Hell. Yeah. Uh, it has screened, I think, at least at one film festival someplace mm-hmm. um how to put this how to put this succinctly hell fucking no or what is it <laughs> eli roth mm-hmm. has he's he's never proven to me that he's anything more than a rich boy dilettante yeah i mean I've, I've seen nothing that's impressed me you know but i know you're a fan of the cannibal films and so that's you know i enjoy i enjoy them uh, they're not something that I that I that I run to go see, but I mean, here's the thing: it's not as if uh, he made this. Mo- here's the thing: he, I don't think he made this movie thinking that it was going to be some gigantic hit. I think he may have thought thought that it could be something that was so nasty and controversial, and word of mouth would would get around and it would become something of a of a of a thing that was passed around from horror fan to horror fan as as kind of oh you have to see that you're not going to believe what they do in this movie. Well, we're probably going to find out that he's probably, it's probably going to be an example of just because you love a genre doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily make a good contribution to it. Well, I'm and he ju- loves the genre. Don't get me oh, wrong. He does, but that yeah. doesn't make hostile anything more than an no. embarrassment. Well, it's like, look how it's, it's, a, it's a stumble bum yeah. version of how to make a film. If yeah. you, I'm sorry, but I'm, yeah. I really apologize if you like hostile. Okay, that's fine if you do. But I can sit and watch that movie with you and point out every stupid, ridiculous, mm-hmm. pointless thing in it. To, mm-hmm. And when I get to. I used to have a rule. Mm-hmm. When I've rolled my eyes more than four or five times yeah. while watching a movie, uh, yeah. fuck this movie. Yeah. yeah. And Hostel, I watched that movie in the theater. Mm. I watched his previous movie in the theater and felt the same way about both of them. I'm sorry if you mm. like Cabin Fever too, but Cabin Fever is a piece of shit. Mm. By the time I rolled my eyes yeah. so hard that I was getting a headache, mm. I'm done. Yeah. He cannot, I, I don't think Eli Roth 
should be allowed to make movies. The fact that he hasn't made any movies for the past few years has been a blessing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't mean to be mean-spirited. Yes, I do. Hey, no, no, yes. it's fine. No, no. Yes, well, like I, I said, no, you're not surprising me with your... I knew that we both share the same opinion on Eli Roth. It's just that he's... I, you know that he's making you know, the fact that he's making a film supposed homage to a genre that I know we both find interesting. I do, I do, I do, I do enjoy the, the 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 spate of cannibal movies that came out in the late seventies, early eighties. I think they're kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're more interesting than they are good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a certain fascination to the grotesque nature of what they're doing. There's a there's mm-hmm. a uh, There's a grittiness and a realism to a lot of them that, that yeah. you know, that, that yeah, that, that there feels a sense, a palpable sense of danger, you know, yeah. because, you know, because and it gets under your skin simply yeah. by, by force of its violence and its gruesomeness, which yeah. is all, which is all well and good. If you mm. can stomach that kind of thing, if you can tolerate it and if you right. can, you can get some kicks out of it. That's great. And I can, mm-hmm. but the thing is, uh, it's a genre and a, uh, well, no, he's not, I'm not even going to call it a genre. It's a type of movie that I think really, its time has passed. See, and that's what I'm thinking too. Is like, a, yeah, I know. I kind of that. I I don't know. You know, I, I I mean, and what more can be said with it really in that sort of you know? I mean, it's it is it is a oh a pretty pretty limited in its you know what you're going to do. You know, you're going to drop right. some civilized people in among native tribes, and they're going to be appalled and brutalized by. <laughs> you know the right. the native tribes, and that's you know okay, and, and, and that's fine. I'll, and I'll say right up front, I'll end up seeing the movie one way or another. Yeah, yeah. I probably will catch it in some way. We yeah. both probably will. You know, hey, you know, we'll. we'll I'm, we'll I'm a horror movie fan. Yeah, I'll right. end up so, seeing yeah, it. That's, yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be good. Yeah, I would be shocked if it is. Be, yeah. I mean, it, to this to this point, the only thing that Eli Roth has done as a director that I've enjoyed was the fake trailer that he did for Grindhouse. I was going to say, that to me is the only thing that he's, yeah, that was very entertaining, but that's the only thing that I've seen of his his that did come from him that I liked, so. And um, it's clear that he is not, I mean, it's clear he doesn't have a real strong drive Mm -hmm. to be a filmmaker, or he'd be making movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, really, he's just gotten great mileage out of being Quentin Tarantino's friend, and that's kind of what it all comes down to. Pretty much, yeah. I don't think he's a good director. Yeah. I don't think he's a good writer. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a particularly good actor. Although mm-hmm. Tarantino did manage to use him effectively in *Inglorious Bastards*. Yeah. But like I say, I'll probably end up seeing this thing mm-hmm. just out of curiosity. Sure. I mean, I've suffered my way through all of Rob <laughs> Zombie's movies for God's sake, and we all know that's yeah. a chore and a half. <laughs> Holy God! Pe- people are. Uh... <laughs> have you seen *Lords of Salem*? I've not. Okay, it's not good. Don't mm-hmm. don't let people fool you. Yeah. It, because there's a lot of, there are a lot of people who uh, say you know this this is this is really good this is solid and I'm, I, 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 I want to raise my hand to be the guy in the back of the room going you said that about the last one too you know it's like it's yeah. it's not it, it's less awful than yeah. his two Halloween movies um, if he had made Lords of Salem as it's as it is yeah right after he'd made the Devil's Rejects mm-hmm. I might say, I might be kinder toward what he. Mm-hmm. Failed to do with yeah. Lords of Salem mm-hmm. because I can see what he's trying to do, yeah. and some of it is effective, but it just it doesn't hang together, mm-hmm. and he can't. There, there, there are stretches of Lords of Salem that are effective, that are really mm-hmm. interesting, mm-hmm. and then it wanders off and loses focus, and it does this kind of thing that you can see he thinks it's going to work, but for me at least it doesn't. Yeah. 
Maybe in a way you should see it. Just well, I will probably at some point. I mean, like I said, I really did not like House of a Thousand Corpses. I did like, I know I like Devil's Rejects more than you did. And yeah, I, did I, like I, don't think, I don't think it's pretty, I don't think it's particularly. The, the Halloween stuff, my God, atrocious, you know, but uh, so, to, but to me, I feel like, you know, based on what I've seen so far, Devil's Rejects is like his, he, you know, to me, like will probably be the one thing that I'll like. But yeah, I mean, at some point, I plan to see Lords of Salem just to see. Hey, what, I'll be see curious. You know, I think about it. I'll be curious to see what I'll be curious to see what you think. Yeah. Uh, but the, the the giant leap ahead in Lords of Salem is that some of the dialogue sounds like humans actually speak it. Yeah. Instead yeah. of it was written by a teenager. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, in all honesty, Eli Roth, the dialogue yeah. I've I've heard in his movies, mm. man. He needed somebody to go through that shit and do some serious editing because, mm. or rewriting or something because somebody needs to sit down and explain to him what a thesaurus is and <laughs> well, go, look, you don't really need to use the same idiotic four yeah. words to describe something because yeah. it just gets old fast. But what's, we're getting off the, of Well, I was going to say, some, some, I feel like if Zombie could be paired with a strong story and script writer, you know, because even from the first, even as much as I didn't like House of a Thousand Corpses, you know, uh, his films have always been very technically pretty solid. I mean, like I, I he, it never felt like an amateur. Even House of a Thousand Corpses was basically I just likened it to like when you go to one of these, you know, a Halloween, you know, spook oh, show, haunted, haunted house. house yeah. You know, yeah. so you go, you go a, to your local haunted attraction. Haunted, haunted yeah. attraction. It's basically just that because it was all visual with no, with just empty, with no story. You know, and and it was yeah. it was scrumptious to look at. You know. Um, and so all of his films, even from the very first, he, he always felt like he had a real solid grasp of the technical aspects yeah. of making films. So if you could ever pair him with a really good script writer, you might have something there. You might, you might. But, we're, but anyway, yes, we're, so we're way off in the This weeds. is not the zombie cast, you know. This is, uh, <laughs> it never, sort of was today, but it yeah. never, never will be. be. It's not the, definitely not the Roth cast, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> never, <laughs> God, it'll never no, be. God, no. All right, so moving, yes, yeah, so we both loved, loved Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, and you will too, I think. Yeah, definitely check it out. Let us know what you think, and uh, we will be back in a moment. Yes. Are you tired of the same old pop culture podcast? Do you listen to those other podcasts and think to yourself, why don't they talk about the things I'm interested in? Hi, I'm Reverend Scott, and when I want to listen to a couple of guys with their appendages on the pulse of pop culture, penis, I listen to the Are You Serious podcast. Hear news about politics and religion where hosts Chris and Frank ask the tough questions. If you woke up with a cock in your mouth, would you take it or leave it? Yeah, exactly. How big is the cock? <laughs> You'll hear entertainment news about your favorite movies and TV shows, plus plain old wholesome discussion about the lives of Chris and Frank. So, I mean, now I am like tattooed. It's weird. It's like I've, I guess I should explain what I got. Yeah. It's three swastikas. Each one interconnected <laughs> to look like a smiley face. And on my left arm is cock and balls. And you notice I looked at my right Character arm. Character from I an old that. Disney film. It's the prequel to Song of the South. Exactly. I have, it's um, called Song of the Cock and Balls. <laughs> it sounds like this. So when you think pop culture podcast, remember this. What's that thing between the dick and the asshole? The Are You Serious Podcast on iTunes or areyouseriouspodcast.com. That story scared the pants off me. Guess I better put my pants back on. Well, boys and girls, it looks like it's time for another chapter of It's Dan O'Clock. I'd like to talk to you just a little bit about some of the discoveries that I've made on YouTube. These are discoveries that I've posted on the Facebook NashiCast page, if you're uh, curious at all. Um, I discovered that there's a 
Zorro type TV episode where uh, Paul Nashi plays some villain that looks like a combination of Phantom of the Opera, Kano from Mortal Kombat, and Napoleon. And you know, that's a great mixture for somebody like Paul Nashi to play. We're just itching for some fan subs for that. Also, um, there's a film in English that was done in Dutch. It was a straight-to-video film that I'm trying to get my hands on. It stars Paul Nashi. Doesn't look like it's a very good film, but hey, it's Paul Nashi, and at least his performance is going to be kick-ass. So those are some things that we're looking forward to on the Nashi front. The name of the Dutch-made spoken English film that Nashi stars in is called Shadow of Blood. This month's horror host segment is going to take a slightly serious tone. I'm going to be talking about someone near to my heart. Uh, this is about Penny Dreadful and her lovable sidekick, Guru. Penny's real name is Danielle, and Guru's real name is Magoo. Sadly, Magoo died of cancer a short while ago, and I know that they did everything together, kind of like uh, my late wife. Um, in case you didn't know, um, I lost my life, uh, my wife, who was the love of my life, back in 2009. And we pretty much did everything together as well, so I can really, really feel for Danielle and her loss of Guru. Which I'm going to call, say Guru, because Magoo and Guru kind of sound the same, so I'm just going to say Guru. Uh, when Danielle lost Guru, um, it was obviously devastating to her. They had been married about 10 years. Um, Holly and I were married probably about 14 years. And um, we courted for about two and a half. So we were, we were together slightly longer, I think. But when you lose somebody like that who is your partner, who's somebody that you can work with, and somebody that has your back you know, pretty much all the time, it's very, very hard, I would imagine, to go on. Um, I don't know what Danielle's going to do. I don't know if she's going to continue being Penny Dreadful. I assume that eventually she will. But right, to, but right now, there's definitely some mourning involved, and I definitely understand that. Um, as far as Nashi goes, um, they've got about eight seasons, so they've been on TV a good chunk of the time and uh, have got some pretty good movies. I mean, they're in the same boat that a lot of horror hosts are with the public domain movies. But uh, looking over their DVD collections that you can buy of the seasons of their show, there's a slightly above average choice of films there, um, including two Nashi films, The Werewolf and the Vampire Woman and Horror Rises from the Tomb. Um, I bought the DVD of Horror Rises from the Tomb. It's a cut TV print and censored like no one's business, but that's not the point. The point is, is that you're watching a great Paul Nashi film that a horror host is hosting, something very, very rare. In fact, when I was growing up in northeastern Ohio, I'd never seen a Nashi film, and I was glued to my TV as a monster kid every Friday and Saturday night. So they just didn't show Paul Nashi films in northeast Ohio uh, during the 70s and early 80s. And that's a fact. And that's kind of sad because I look at all this time that Paul Nashi's been around that I didn't know who he was and wasn't able to enjoy his work. And that makes me makes me angry in a way. 
But getting back to uh, Penny Dreadful, um, she's the second half of the DVD that I'm offering for my contest. And it's um, Dr. Gangrene and Penny Dreadful's Dreadful Hollow Green Special. And I have a sealed copy. Um, so far, no one has even tried to guess the name of the song. Either I've stumped everybody or people really just don't care. I'm going to give it another month. So when we come back with an Ashy cast in December, I will announce the winner, even if no one picks out of all the people that I have addresses, addresses to that I've sent things to, I'll pick it out of that stack and somebody will be getting mailed the Dr. Gangrene Penny Dreadful, Dreadful Hollow Green special. And it's really a good half hour uh, piece of short film. Um, I highly recommend it, and hopefully somebody here pretty soon that's in the Nashi Cast listening verse will be able to enjoy it as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you can guess the name of the band and the name of the song that I use for my introduction to It's Dan O'Clock, email your answer in an email to D.F. Decker, that's D-F-D-E-C-K-E-R, at columbus.rr.com and depending on how many entries I get or if I get any at all I'm still going to pick a winner in December so you've got until then to do this and so dear friends we come to an end of another episode of It's Dan O'Clock and this is the time when I usually play a song well this month is no different and it's Halloween so not only am I going to be playing a song I'm going to be playing the National Friggin' Anthem for Halloween. So everybody stand up. Come on, you in the back. Up, up, up. Come on. Put your hand over your heart. Hold your head high. And listen as we hear the National Anthem for Halloween. This is Alice Cooper and Keeping Halloween Alive. Alice? I'll keep my jack-o'-lantern light on for everyone tonight.
Thank you, Dan. Well done. Very well done, my friend, as always. I um now when he said the uh when he said the the anthem of Halloween, now I was expecting Monster Mash, but I should have known being the being the rock and roller that Dan is, and I'll uh, I should have known he'd go for something a little more head banging. But uh, you know, but hey, Alice is a great choice. Oh, I love Mr. That's Cooper. an excellent choice. I've excellent choice. Been a big fan of Alice for years, oh, yeah. and his last couple of albums have been simply fantastic. Actually, he's yeah, he's kind of still a firing resurgence on, here, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, still firing on all cylinders. He went through a through a patch in the late eighties, uh, early nineties that I think were that was not something that I really think is something to go back to very often. But right. mm-hmm. <clears throat> last few years, man, yeah. he's really been firing on all cylinders. Loving it, loving it, loving it. Good choice. And people, come on, write to him. Get a yeah. free DVD. Yeah, it's like, come on, somebody out there's got to know the answer. And if you know, although it, it's it's you know, it's oh, he's still a pretty challenging. It is a challenging. I, so no Dan, doubt, no I mean, Dan may want to think about maybe throwing one other kind of trivia question or something out there to give people something else. Maybe they can guess on if if nobody fit. And that could be why you're the the deafening silence you're getting, Dan, may just be that you stumped everybody. Yeah, so. what in the heck is that? <laughs> but uh, if, if if there's nothing if there's yeah. nothing else I've learned from being a, a music fanatic mm. for years, mm. having mm. having really kind of slightly esoteric musical tastes mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm. is that just because you know that song backwards and forwards doesn't yeah. mean anybody else does. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also, I think, uh, I don't think we've ever told this on there and I don't think we ever told it to Dan, but I, 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 I want to tell real quick the story of how you and I met Penny Dreadful and Guru. Oh yeah. Um, and, we and, that, and we do really mention, have we said that before? I don't think we've told the whole detail. So, uh, yeah. And, and he's right. I mean, we, we miss Guru and that's just a, a real shame. And I, I mean, he was a great guy, great entertainer, but our story, Rod and I's story, how we first met Penny Dreadful and, and Guru. Uh, we were going to a Monster Bash, which is the terrific uh, classic horror convention in Pittsburgh. And uh, no, we're good friends with. I don't think we mentioned this when when I mean everybody I think knows that we know Doctor. You know we're friends with Doctor Gangrene and Dan. A couple of his episodes, a couple of segments back, uh, Dan did a something a little segment on Doctor Gangrene. And Doctor Gangrene had a sidekick uh, for several years there, uh, Nurse Monique. And we're very good friends with uh, Linda Wiley, who plays uh, Nurse Monique. And uh, so when we were going to this Monster Bash a few years ago, and this was when Penny Dreadful had just kind of started kicking off her, her, her horror hosting, or at least started getting her name around to where we'd heard of it, but I had not actually seen any of her shows or had seen a picture of her yet, and, and Linda had told me when she found out that we were going to Monster Bash, she said, well, she said, I know Penny's going to be there. She said, say, say hello to Penny Dreadful and Guru, and I forgot to... After we take it off, I forgot to to find out what Penny Penny's real name was and what Guru's real name was, or or even look at a picture of him. So I had no idea what they even looked like. Well, we, we kind of figured that she was going to be there in costume, and yeah. probably even have a yeah. table, so we'd run yeah. across her one way or the other. Yeah, so we were kind. Of, I was kind of aware of like, okay, let me see if I spot these people so I can tell them that that Nurse Monique said hi. But the hotel we were not staying in the convention hotel. We were staying in a hotel that was about a mile away, but it but. It was about a mile straight up to get to the Monster Bash Hotel. Uh, this is one year when they moved the hotel like closer to Pittsburgh, but it was way on top of a mountain, you know. So, um, so the hotel we were staying in was run was running shuttles occasionally, but it would you know we got to the point where it was so long to wait for a shuttle that we got to the point where we would just hop in rides with people who were going from our hotel to the Monster Bash Hotel. So this one time we this couple was leaving and we got to talking to them and they you know this man and woman and, and they're real nice and they offered us a ride so we get in the back seat and we're starting to head up there and somehow or another it, it comes out like that we're from Nashville and they ask if we know Dr. Gangrene Nurse Monique and I'm like well yeah and and then it turns out we're riding with P- 
Penny and Guru, and and then they were they were excited to find out that you know that I was in the exotic ones because uh, we had done the, the theme song for uh, Chiller Cinema, and uh, and then uh, I told her I said, well, I was looking for you guys all weekend cause to tell you hello, and I didn't know what you looked like. So yeah, that was our first <laughs> encounter, which we actually got a ride. I ride up the lonely mountain with uh, went to the scary, scary place at the top with uh, we, go, we were, yeah, we were, Penny, we were, so. uh, we were riding, we were riding yeah. in the back of their car when we realized, oh hell, yeah, it's Horos. <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty fun. That was a pretty neat way to, to meet them. But uh, yeah, so thanks again, Dan, uh, for your contributions as always. We're really enjoying your segments there. Thank you, thank you. Well, uh, first off, we got a, got an announcement. We have some more details about uh, what I guess, in a weird way, will turn out to be kind of Paul Nashie's final film. Because Nashi's voice shows up mm-hmm. in the movie Wax, uh, it's the uh, the Spanish film that uh, blends uh, kind of traditional graphic uh, graphic uh, violence with gothic atmosphere. It's a contemporary found footage shock shock exploitation kind of thing, but uh, we're looking forward to seeing it. It's going to get and it's going to get distributed over here on DVDs and maybe even Blu-ray. Although this just says DVD mm-hmm. uh, by Full Moon. Uh, Full Moon slash Wizard Studios, which is their 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 new name, I, I think. But uh, this is the movie Wax that uh, is uh, it stars Jack Taylor and Geraldine Chaplin and Lone Fleming, and of course, like we said, the voice of Nashi himself. And uh, this uh, Wax is the the story of a of a young journalist who gets locked in a wax museum overnight and is stalked by a cannibal murderer who dresses up like Vincent Price. From House of Wax, mm-hmm. apparently this fellow uh, <clears throat> regularly traps people in this museum mm-hmm. and kills them and films this uh, kind of a snuff movie style. Mm-hmm. So uh, sounds delightfully disgusting. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I do believe that the nasty uh, murderer, bastard, cannibal scumbag is Jack is, Taylor. Is Jack Taylor. So that is all good. It's something that I cannot wait to see. Same here. It's a. Uh, the, the good news is that Wax is going to have an exclusive premiere at fullmoonstreaming.com for Halloween. Mm-hmm. So if you want to see Wax, apparently, I don't know if it's going to be free or not, but you're going to be able to stream it at Halloween from fullmoonstreaming.com. Well, I, full I know Full Moon Streaming. I know that in general, I think they charge like a monthly, like if you pay a little monthly, oh, monthly fee, okay. you have a monthly fee, you can stream all their tons of films, and a lot of their stuff isn't really available anywhere else right now, like not even on Netflix and all. Like so, all the Full Moon, Charles Band stuff, all that stuff. Yeah, if you pay, and I don't think it's much. It seems like it's maybe like six bucks or something a month. You can stream all their stuff as much as you want. Now, what kind of deal they're? You know, I don't know if they're yeah, got a special know. deal for, do for Wax, Wax, but yeah. But this is this is Wax uh, with, uh, well, let's 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 just say. Uh, a cast of uh, a cast of Spanish yeah, horror no luminaries. Man, great cast, and I think it is eventually coming to DVD. Right, it I comes to DVD is, yeah. in December. So okay. in December you'll be able to get it on DVD. But if you want to see it before then, you can see it Halloween time, mm-hmm. streaming at fullmoonstreaming.com. Yeah. So looking forward to finally man, seeing this. Me too, me too. And you know, and the best thing about it is that now we can say that Paul Nashie's last film was not in Pusa. <laughs> that's a, so that's a nice thing. <laughs> well, we, we could have, we probably could have said that Technically, with, uh, yeah. with a couple of other films. Yeah, but this one, uh, this is kind of interesting. I like mm-hmm. the idea of having his voice Yeah, be, what a great thing and, to do. Yeah, that's kind of neat. That's kind of neat. That's so, cool. so um, we got a couple, of, uh, couple of emails here. Let's check them out. What do we got first? Okay, so I've got one here from Court. And he says, hello, Nashie cast. I'm working my way through your most recent episode, number 48, and from your description of the film, that would be uh, 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 Commando Shakia. He says, I feel as though this might be one to skip unless I have no other Nashi films left to see. 
I recently got my hands on Howl of the Devil. This film caused me a lot of distress, and not because of its very melodramatic moments. I found myself feeling very sad for our favorite Ombre Lobo during the scene, during the scenes where the hateful uncle spout, spots off his diatribe about his horror icon of a brother and how his films were garbage. I could sense the cathartic overtones in the film, and I found myself a little overwhelmed by it. I have to say that by the time the out-of-left-field-what-the-fuck ending hit, I was in a bummed-out mood until I remembered that before his death, Nashi was aware was aware of, of his fans all over the world and knew he had secured his legacy. At least he didn't die as poor Lugosi did, alone and unaware of the lasting impact he had on the horror community. I wanted to say that I would love to hear an in-depth, overly and analytical podcast discussion of the Planet of the Apes films and the TV series. Huh. I caught a marathon of all the Apes films and the TV series on TBS as a young lad in the 80s and have been a tremendous Apes fan ever since. I'm so enthusiastic about this idea, I would even volunteer to get involved if there's no one else crazy enough to run the gambit of the show for, with you guys. <laughs> well, thank you, Court. We'll keep that in mind. Uh, yeah, uh, we're starting to get some some questions for that. We may have to think about uh, doing an Apes film from time to time, maybe going I through the series. I think that that's and, probably not a bad idea. Yeah. He says, I also want to talk about Godzilla. Now, why would he want to talk about what is he? What interest would he possibly think we would Godzilla. have? Godzilla. <laughs> He says, I recently purchased all the Toho films on Blu-ray except Megalon and the out-of-print Destroy All Monsters, which I got on DVD, and proceeded to employ the special antenna to fill in the gap of Godzilla 1985 and so forth for any film not released here in the U.S. to watch. So I could watch every Toho-made Godzilla film over a long weekend. Wow, man. And even I have never done that marathon, but that sounds very tempting. I may have to... Uh, I may have to chisel out a few days and try that myself. Uh, a marathon <laughs> of all, all 29 films now. He says, I have to say that I was transported to the childhood wonder of watching the true king of the monsters destroy cities for his entire Toho run. I actually cannot <laughs> wait to be able to watch them all over again the next chance I get. My earliest childhood memory was catching Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster on TV as a four-year-old and allowed to stay up late to watch it so long as I got up for preschool the next day without any complaint. I was hooked on kaiju stomping badassery from that day forth. Uh, good for you, Cord. I know the feeling. <laughs> nice. He says, I'm sorry to write the feedback equivalent to War and Peace here, guys, but I wanted to share in the joy of all this podcast has to offer. Court from Omaha. Well, thank you, Court. Very much appreciate that. Very much appreciate that. Excited that you're, yeah, that's interesting. You're, the Planet of the Apes and Godzilla are both near and dear to our hearts. And uh, like I said, I'm always, whenever somebody's just getting into those or just kind of, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the, getting that magic anew there, you know, you just always like, boy, I envy them, you know, just to get to experience that all over again. So. Well, of course, I mean, uh, the idea of doing, well, let's, let's address these in, in, in okay. order. The Planet of the Apes thing, um, the more I think about it, the more I think that uh, we probably will one day get around to doing uh, some kind of podcast on the Planet of the Apes movies. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how in-depth or what exactly, I don't know how we'll approach it, yeah. but I think that we probably will because we both have a lot of love for the series. Yeah. Yeah. And its current and its current uh, resurgence is uh, quite, quite, mm -hmm. quite joyous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to point to a, uh, a series of films that started uh, as a, an, 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 an adaptation of a French novel in 1968 mm -hmm. and has somehow managed to uh, bring itself into 2014 yeah. and uh, will be continuing, clearly. Mm -hmm. So this is something that I think will happen. Now, we, of course, do intend to do uh, a Godzilla podcast for The Bloody Pit uh, next month. That is what we'll be doing in November. Instead of a Nashi cast or a Beyond Nashi, we'll be doing a Bloody Pit episode on Godzilla. And at the end of this podcast, we'll actually let you know exactly what yeah, the topic of that particular podcast that. will mm -hmm. be, as well as uh, plans for future 
such uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, we finally kind of settled on a, a direction. It took us yeah. a while, but we kind of finally came up with an idea. So, and uh, we'll see what you think of it. It's going to be an odd one. Yeah. So, um, I don't know that we'd uh, we'd we'd necessarily need a third voice talking about the Planet of the Apes films mm-hmm. or the Godzilla movies, but uh, who knows? Well, just as I say, you never know. We appreciate your offer, so we'll definitely, definitely keep that in mind. Definitely, I mean, uh, in 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 things of this nature, um, more voices are always. Uh, more fun. Mm-hmm. It it, rare, it rarely is the thing when you get a room full of people who really enjoy something talking about something, and you you really wish that there were fewer people talking. Yeah, <laughs> because somebody always, always has, has some kind of different point of view. That mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, as long as there's some kind of variant on uh, the the point of view being offered, it adds something new and it sparks interest. It sparks mm-hmm. new ideas. It sparks a creative element that isn't mm-hmm. necessarily there if there's only two or three people talking. So mm-hmm. who knows? So. There's that. Oh, 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 we've got one more letter. Hold on. All right. <clears throat> it is regular correspondent Mark. Mark. Good old Mark. Always. Man, this is a long one. Okay. <laughs> he, says, he says, hey, gents, many thanks for the latest two podcasts. Were they unusually close together or did I just take my eye off the ball? Uh, Actually, I were, think we did. They were unusually we, we kind close of, together. Because of the way our weird schedules fell with holidays and everything, we're sort of suddenly hitting our podcast in the first half of the month now uh, rather yeah. than the second half so yeah sorry sorry mark uh, we 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 did mean to, to to creep up on you and slide by but we did so uh sorry 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 so uh he says uh, glad you got around to covering the devil's cross a film i've been wanting to see ever since i heard of its templar scenes i even once heard it being described as an unofficial blind dead sequel but this seems to be stretching things a little too far plus emma cohen stars so it's pretty much a no-brainer mm-hmm it's a shame Nashi has such an understandably bad has such understandably bad memories of the production. I doubt we'll ever know the full story behind his eventual firing from the film. As is typical of many films with a troubled history, each side wants to overstate their own involvement with the film while simultaneously downplaying the other side's contribution. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that. <laughs> I guess the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Looks like I'll have to start watching Penny Dreadful as everyone I know seems to be recommending it. I've recently finished watching a TV series called The Tunnel, a UK-French production. The basic conceit is that a body is found in the Euro Tunnel, midway between France and England, so the respective police forces have to work together to find the killer. It's a reworking of a Scandinavian series called The Bridge and was thoroughly enjoyable. Now, that's odd because there's say, an American it, version done for FX and when over I, and, here called yeah. The Bridge, which so takes place that, on the American-Mexico border. So is that bridge a remake of The Tunnel, which oh, is yeah, a remake oh, no, no, of no, The Bridge? Is, it is, it is. The American Bridge series is a remake of the Scandinavian series. Of The Tunnel. Of, which is a remake no, of no, The Bridge. No, the, the, the Tunnel is a remake of the, the Scandinavian series, The Bridge, as well. Right, so right. instead of being but I mean, set, basically, we're talking three series that are all basically the same. That are well, the same. two series that are a remake of the original series. Oh, gotcha. Right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So yeah, three <laughs> series. That's really wow, kind of weird. Very yeah, the, the, it's like, the, it's the American like, Bridge series is in its yeah. second season, so yeah. I don't know if now in its second season it's completely rocking yeah. it off in its own direction or not. You know, people, if you would just be willing to watch things from other countries, we wouldn't have this uh, confusion, I'm just saying. Hey, <laughs> if you would be... the American Bridge series is really good. I've heard it's awesome. Well, here's the thing. The the uh, TV show... Uh, yeah, xenophobia Force. leads to some, some good things every <laughs> now and then. It does every now and then, strangely enough. <laughs> Look at all the great uh, Lovecraft's whole work is, you know, based on... <laughs> based on xenophobia and racism, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless... What we have here yeah. is uh, also the the uh, recent American TV series, The Killing, was based on a Scandinavian no. yeah, TV right. series I as well. That. Yeah. 
And, uh, and of course, I we also have this one that returned, which I think is based on the Revenant, Frank, which our which friend John Frank has series. been telling us is terrific. Yeah. I need to see the Revenant uh, or or return either one. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen either one of those as well. But uh, that is interesting. I did not know there was a British French variation on mm. the bridge. That is that's intriguing. Yeah, yeah. I almost want to see it just to see what just to see mm. what odd changes are made that are either culture cultural in nature or yeah. um, basically things that have to be changed I guess if it takes place in a, if the murder the body is found in a tunnel mm-hmm. as opposed to on a, oh that's you can see how it'd be easy to do this story in different places oh sure. well anyway 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 you could do it um, down in Florida where half of it's in Alabama and half of it's in Florida and they could do that <laughs> yeah but they just fight over I know, why they, they fight yeah. <laughs> they it all end in a football game <laughs> Batter and gunfire just make with a jerky football. out of the corpse and, and, yeah. and call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> wow, we live in Tennessee and we're making that much fun of Florida and all. Uh, that. No, really, yeah. We're talking about the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, oh, it's, 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 it's the redneck calling the idiot doofus ass. Is what it is. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ignorant. Ignorant. Oh God. Okay, let's let's drag ourselves out of this. Okay, <laughs> back to Mark's email. <laughs> God, I'm I'm terrible at this email reading shit. Okay. Yeah. Troy. Yes. Good luck with your Halloween movie thon. It's certainly a case of diminishing returns after part three. The oh, Halloween movie. That's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah. But I have a certain amount of affection for the appalling sequels that follow. <laughs> your your conversation on horror sequels reminded me of how many I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. I still haven't got past the second installments of either the Hellraiser or Howling franchises. You're better off. Oh Stop. Oh my God! I, I tried the marsupials again recently, and it's just oh Jesus! I had oh. I, I had actually somehow managed to block it from my mind that I'd seen it before, but pretty pretty soon into it, I was like, oh God, I have seen this before, and I forgot how horrendous this is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, I, I I cut him off, and and, and mm-hmm. he says I haven't made it past the second installments of either the Hellraiser or Howling franchises, and although I've heard nothing but insults and anger where the anger where the later sequels are concerned, I still suspect I might reap some perverse enjoyment from them. <laughs> Perverse enjoyment, yes. That's yeah. It's a, that, that would give it that. <laughs> I would give it that. I've not seen uh, the later sequels of the Howling series. Yeah, I have seen a lot of the later Hellraiser movies. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, you can get some kind of yeah. sick horror fan joy out of watching a bad film. Yeah, you're 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 safe with that. I can see that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think we mentioned back, you know, when we were first talking about me doing all these, you know, catching up on these sequels that the Hellraiser. Hellraiser films seem to all to be really good at setting up an interesting premise and then just sort of fumble know, fucking falling, it away, yeah, falling off into nothingness. But yeah, you can watch it. You can enjoy them though. Still, what was, yeah. what was the? I think I think it was the description I read once, and it's it's not an original statement by any means. But I remember someone oh. saying that yeah, Hellraiser three. Yeah, there's a film that tripped over its own dick. <laughs> and, and it really kind of does because yeah. for the first yeah. for the first oh, few yeah. minutes of Hellraiser like, 3 yeah. you're like, "Oh, okay, well this yeah. is kind of interesting." And yeah. then for the next hour you're sitting there going, "Wow, they can fuck this up any Oh, they did fuck it up worse." Yeah. Well, see, that's kind of the you could say about pretty much all the Hellraisers. I mean, you know, pretty much all nine of them you could say. Yeah. I mean, all the sequels you could say that about, but anyway. Oh, lord. He says reading between the lines, I'm guessing that Commando Chikia is a bit dull. It's a shame because I really enjoyed Seven Murders for Scotland Yard, the only Nashy Jose Luis Madrid film that I've seen. Although, if I'm honest, I was hardly uh, it was hardly a directorial masterclass. Mm-hmm. Next to know, uh, nice to know, there's another Julia Sally or Julia Sally mini appearance to look out for though. 
What was the deal with her and Mashie? I know we've all said it before, but I would truly love to hear her side of the story. Maybe Elena can track her down. <laughs> yeah, last time, you know, it. we would, everybody would love an interview, to hear an interview with Julia Siley to hear her take on, you know, the, those years. And But, I, you know, we heard she had ran a restaurant for a while. I think I saw something that the restaurant is, is, is a, closed, a business yeah. that closed. I mean, and she's not been really very forthcoming on, you know, on, on, on talking about her career that I can tell. So Not uh, anything that I've heard about. No. And I've done some searching. And yeah. I've not seen even, even anything that turned up in print, at least, uh, mm-hmm. in Spanish. So mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's fascinating. I mean, next, I mean, she and Leon Kamofsky would be the two names that were most turned up, you know, associated with Nashi uh, yeah. in, in, throughout his career, you know. So, so that would be It would be wonderful to, to yeah. speak to either one of them. Yeah. Uh, there's a weird part of me that wonders, you know, there was that weird thing with the that Japanese producer who right. died under sure. rather mysterious circumstances yeah, that yeah. turns out years later seems to have been connected to the, the Yakuza. Yakuza. Yeah, Yakuza. And I'm wondering, I mean, she was a part of that. She was a right, co-producer right. Oh, yeah, of those Japanese, Japanese films. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm wondering, that's not it's not too soon after that that she exited the film mm-hmm. industry completely. Yeah, and I'm wondering if that might have had something to do with it. I mean, that's pure speculation. Oh, sure, but 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 that's that what you do when you're left with like such an open space that yeah. has not been spoken we of. We you know that you know, yeah. But anyway, 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 yeah, we'd all we'd all love a nice career long, mm-hmm. a lengthy career piece uh, interview mm-hmm. with Miss Sally. That mm-hmm. would be wonderful. Um, he says there are yet more amazing looking Blu-rays on the horizon. Very much looking forward to Planet of the Vampires. Oh yeah. And The Girl Who Knew Too Much, uh, with both versions of the film on it. Plus, Code Red are releasing three Andy Milligan films in November. Now, I know Milligan is an acquired taste, Mm. to say the least. But personally, I am crapping my pants with delight. (laughs) I also noticed a company called Kraken have released a whole slew of Godzilla movies at a very cheap price. He's, He's British, remember. Yeah, right. Uh, Troy, have you bought any of these? I'm very much interested in buying Godzilla vs. Gigon, but I have no idea what the quality is like on those discs. Before you answer, you go we, should, we should say that uh, that particular Godzilla film has been released recently on Blu-ray right. over here, right. and I can't remember the name of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film looks actually fantastic. that was I think that was Sony. I think that was I think that was a Sony release, I believe, and all because they're the ones who released the DVD. The first did the DVD of it a couple of years ago. Okay, believe that that was the so there was two different right there was two different companies putting out the the Godzilla Blu-rays that all kind of hit at once. Right. I think the guy gone was part of the Sony release. Uh, I'll have to double-check that. And this I did not have a chance to check in on this on company Kraken. he's talking about, on their releases. Well, regardless, regardless, we've not seen any of the Kraken Right, discs. right. But the Blu-ray that was released over here in the States of Godzilla vs. Guy Gone, I have, I have seen, I watched mm. it a few months ago. turns out I had not seen the damn movie before, and I'm glad I've, defined, I've finally seen it. Mm. Uh, it looks Beautiful. Yes. Uh, this Blu-ray, the, the Region 1 Blu-ray, well, not Region 1, I guess it would be Region A, considering it's a Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, fantastic looking. Well, so. those films, that I will say, that in the, the Toho films, I'm not saying this just because I'm a Godzilla fan, but the, the those films do just look well. Usually just look wonderful on Blu-ray because they are just so colorful, you know. They're yeah. so filmed in such a great Toho scope color and they're and uh, so so they usually, I mean, that uh, we, we heard that other uh, courts email mentioned the Destroy All Monsters Blu-ray going out of print so quickly, you know, and uh, um, uh, but uh, uh, but man, it's uh, it looks fantastic if you can get your hands on that. That thing just looks beautiful. But uh, it's why I'm really eager for them to, even though they put out so many Godzilla Blu-rays, 
there's that chunk right there of the the '60s ones there uh, with starting with Godzilla vs. the Thing and going through the the two Ghidra movies that have not come out on Blu-ray yet, and those are going to look fantastic uh, when they finally finally do hit the hit the Blu-ray market. So yeah, yeah, I mean you can rarely go wrong with buying any Godzilla film on Blu-ray uh, visually because they, they those films just lend themselves to to they just look great anyway because they're so colorful and fun. I am, yeah, I, I, the, I know the uh, I know the name of the, the Kraken label, but that is a British label, and so I, I don't yeah. have I don't have any of them. So yeah, and I was not able. I did go on to um, uh, Code Red's website, but I didn't see anything about the Andy Milligan. I'm not sure which ones um, he's talking about that they're putting it has, out. He's but, been, uh, it's been announced on Facebook. I know that uh, there's a, there's a Facebook group. I know I've seen the them talking about. The, I know that I've seen the talk on there about those Andy Milligan films. Uh, there's a certain curiosity for me about Andy Milligan films. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen one I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember. I've seen a couple of others that were marginal. They're very, very, very low budget films. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're very strange films. But I have some curiosity about Andy Milligan. I'm not crapping my pants to see it. Yeah, I've got to say that. I'm glad you are, Mark. No, one thing I am Somebody cra- has to yeah, be excited yeah. about now, it. Now, here's what I'm crapping my pants about. I uh, just found this out. Uh, DVD News of Scream Factory is going to be in early in early part of next year putting out the Balacula films on a double feature Blu-ray. Oh, that's right, so yeah. I'm very excited yeah. about that. Yeah. That's going to be I, I have to say, I'm not the biggest fan of those. I know you're not a huge those. Blackula I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't think they're awful. I just, mm-hmm. I've never been a huge fan. I actually mm-hmm. think the second one's a little better than the first, but mm-hmm. that's just me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, oh, to, to close out Mark's email, he says, anyway, thanks again for the podcast. I'm delighted that you're finally getting around to doing the Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. Very much looking forward to hearing what you have to say about it. All the best, Mark. P.S. What's a MacGuffin? Oh, yeah, yeah, we should uh, have to. We I guess we have to explain what a MacGuffin is. Mm-hmm. First of all, come on, Wayne, <laughs> use the magic Google machine. <laughs> no, a MacGuffin is uh, it's the uh, the thing that really doesn't matter that drives the plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, it's the uh, it's a term from a Hitch from Hitchcock, right? At least I, I think well, Hitchcock at least he popularized. Yeah, he used the most. Yeah, he popularized it. Basically, yeah. it's uh, in other words, it's the the it's the ridiculous thing that drives the plot that makes the characters in the plot do the things that they do. In mm-hmm. other words, it's like in uh, I think the classic example is uh, in North by Northwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it that keeps Cary Grant's character doing what he's doing? Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, that's the MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever uh, it's uh, in the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. The MacGuffin of the story is that statue, the Maltese Falcon. It's the thing that makes everything else happen. It's the reason why all the, the mm-hmm. events occur. I think one of his most uh, extreme uses, uh, Hitchcock. Hitchcock is the what's the film about the dead body that everybody's at? Is it Harry? Harry uh, oh, so the, the trouble with, uh, trouble the with trouble Harry. Harry, yeah. Harry is the MacGuffin. He's the MacGuffin yeah. because yeah. he's. It's a dead body that yeah. nobody knows why he's dead or how he got killed or mm-hmm. anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just what drives the plot. It's it's the, the thing, it's the engine of the story mm. is the best way to put it. But it doesn't really matter. You could, the, the joke about a MacGuffin is that you could, you could substitute anything for that as long as it's something that could plausibly drive people to do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's probably better ways to put it, but that's just the way I enjoy it. Yeah. That's the way I, that's the way I've always uh, thought of it. You know, as a matter of fact, speaking of the magic Google machine, why don't I just... See what it comes up with. I wonder what I wonder what the the let's see. Usually, the MacGuffin is the central focus of the film in the first act, and thereafter declines in importance. It may reappear at the climax of the story, but sometimes is actually forgotten by the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Okay. That makes sense. It's, it's a device that helps propel the plot in a story, but is of little actual importance. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. So there you go. And you figure it had to originate it. Here it says it's a. It had to have, you know, what piece of, what work actually used that word or, yeah, you know, why this yeah. that. So there had to be some play or novel or something that, you know, that, that used that to, it had actually had a character or something called that, that they just sort of used as a general term. No. Well, it's, uh, let's see, uh, the MacGuffin is a plot device in the form of, of some goal, desired object, or other motivator that the protagonist pursues, often with little or no narrative explanation. <laughs> the specific nature of MacGuffin is typically unimportant. Mm-hmm. History and use. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Such objects and stories continue uh, through to the name to the namesake of the 1941 film, The MacGuffin. Ah, okay. and of course, the Maltese Falcon is listed yeah. as like a classic yeah, classic, example. Yeah. Oh, so in the in the, yeah. in the classic book, you know, the uh, Truffaut, uh, where Francois Truffaut is interviewing Interview Alfred Hitchcock, Hitchcock yeah. they uh, they talk about. Uh, what is the what, the term MacGuffin? And they talk about uh, what's a MacGuffin. Well, it's an apparatus for trapping lions in the Scottish Highlands. The first man says, but there are no lions in the Scottish Highlands. And the other one answers, well then, that's no MacGuffin. So you see that a MacGuffin is actually nothing, nothing at all. Nothing at all. Aha. Uh-huh. So that's where we well, Now we know. Which, so, is, see, which is kind of classic. See how we work to educate all of you in the, uh, the Nashi cast, all of our listeners there. That <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Aren't we such film geeks? We are. We are. It's a, it's a good way to live. Well, I'm, I'm amused by the fact that... Do you remember the TV series The Adventures of Briscoe County? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, you, there was that the, the the Rambaldi device, which was the thing that was kind of the MacGuffin that ran through the whole series. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, and it, it, uh, it's a shame there was never a second season of that show. Well, well my favorite line I always think about when... Uh, uh, our friends Chris and Chandra met Bruce Campbell at a book signing and they told him they said we love Briscoe County and he said oh you were the two who watched it <laughs> hey there were more than two I know I know, I but, mean, I know where, but I know where he's coming two. from though, and yeah, that yeah. Uh, show didn't didn't quite find the audience it deserved you know? true it very good, true good but uh, well I tell you what guys we'll go ahead and let you know um, we will be doing a Nashi cast in December yes uh, and next month we'll be doing a Bloody Pit episode on Godzilla. So why don't we go ahead and let you in on what we're going to be doing these two, what what the subjects of these two podcasts are going to be. First, mm-hmm. Godzilla. Yes. Well, with uh, with a lot of wrangling. Yeah, yeah. Rod, Rod's been after me for about two years now to do a Godzilla Bloody Pit. And literally the delay was that I could not think of the angle I wanted to take and I know that sounds weird I mean it's it's not that I can't talk about Godzilla I can talk about it, as Rod can tell you until until you like want to push me out the door and like slam it you know behind me nail boards to I the, want to throw know, a cat at you yes 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 so it's not a matter of that I can't talk about Godzilla it's that I didn't want to just do I was I, Godzilla unlike Paul Nashie uh, is actually a very popular subject and there's probably a million podcasts out there about him and he's oh, probably yeah. and he's been written about talked about and so I was trying to think of what's something that not everybody has done to death. I didn't want it to just be a Godzilla 101 and tell you a million things you already know. And I also didn't really want it to just be something where we just take every Godzilla film in succession and discuss it. And so um, I threw out a, a bunch of ideas I'd come up with to Rod and said, pick one. And so you tell him the one you picked was, I think, is kind of like what we've talked about is... is it's like we're taking, you know, there's a handful of Godzilla films, four or five especially that I'm kind of thinking of that have have that are the most reviled or controversial or that kind of cause the most stir or the most just stand out like a sore thumb apart from the normal Godzilla formula. So. Correct. And so what we're going to do, and our typical our 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 tentative title for it right now is kind of controversial kaiju. Controversial kaiju, that's right. So what we're going to do is this will be the first in uh, a an intermittent series yeah. of 
mm-hmm. podcasts on specific. We're going to tackle one film at a time, mm-hmm. uh, as as is our want. We're going to tackle one film at a time, and we're going to to march our way through the problematic. One might even say the problem plays mm-hmm. in the Godzilla pantheon. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like talking about uh, Shakespeare's Coriolanus, mm-hmm. this is one that divides critics, mm-hmm. divides fans, divides fans, uh, confuses fans, mm-hmm. makes fans want to weep, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. And in this case. We are going to tackle the, the first one we're going to tackle. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, is this chronological? Or are we starting with kind of the oldest? Um, you know, we're this actually, we didn't really plan it that way, but the one that you threw out there is yeah. like, let's do this one first, actually is the first of the films that I okay. feel like we'll probably be talking about. It's the first one that, that was kind of the most jarring deviation from the Godzilla, you know, formula or the feel of the films before it. There, All right. So. And the title of that one, we, the first one we'll be covering next month is... All Monsters Attack, a.k.a. Godzilla's Revenge. Those are its two most well-known titles. Okay, and this is interesting because I just recently rewatched that film. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have many things to say about it. I bet you do. And it's very, it's very easy to see why it is considered a controversial mm-hmm. entry in the Godzilla yeah. pantheon. Yeah. So, and, and one thing then, as you pointed out, and I think that your choice of this particular topic is a good one because I think as we talk about these films... Uh, we'll also, by the nature of, of these films and what they are, is you know, is we'll be also talking about a lot of the things I would have covered in the other themes as well. Because you yeah. know, it's just like when you're talking about these films, you'll we'll end up touching on other aspects of Godzilla history. And and I'll try and without being too pedantic with it, I will try and have some inf- kind of some inf- bring to the table hopefully some information on why these films turned out the way they did, why they made this particular kind of film at this time and that sort of thing, you know. Cool. Not promising anything, but I'm going to try. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, that will be next month, so we'll be talking about All Monsters Attack aka Godzilla's Revenge mm-hmm. and in the Bloody Pit episode should be episode 19 over at the Bloody Pit. Mm-hmm. And then in December we'll be back here for another regular Nashi cast episode mm-hmm. where we're going to cover a Nashi film that is uh Seems wow. like it might work for Christmas. Might be a good Christmas episode. Maybe, maybe so. This is a film that's generally considered a family film, kind of a comedy or a fantasy film of a certain type. Mm-hmm. Well, this one's considered a family film, and therefore maybe Christmassy. Maybe? Yeah, we thought it might work for December. Might be a little, might warm the heart, and by that you're roasting chestnuts and on watching your. We'll see, but it's Christmas. definitely directed and written by Paul Nashy, so it's a Nashy film, no matter how you slice it. Yeah. And once again, we get uh, we get a role from uh, his son Sergio. Sergio, we get to see Sergio again. Exactly, exactly. We've so, seen Sergio talk to monsters who weren't there. We've seen Sergio blown away with a shotgun, and then maybe this film we'll see Sergio have a little better time. I hope so. This is uh, my oh, and friend Julia Sally. Julia Sally is in this. Exactly, one as well. exactly. This is uh, my friend the Vagabond from 1984. Mm-hmm. We'll be covering that in the December episode of the Nashi Cast. That'll be Nashi Cast number 49. Yep. And uh, that that should be uh, at the very least. Interesting. Yeah, because we, once again, one that we know nothing about, have not seen. Nothing so, at all. Yeah. Uh, not a thing. Other than it is kind of, it, it's, it's considered a family movie. Yeah, we're not expecting a whole lot of nudity and gore in this one. I think we know why this one is we're taking us so long to get around to. But we're <laughs> <laughs> but just to show that we're not total misanthropes, we're going to do a family film. So uh, <laughs> next Nashy Cats, or next Nashy Cats, you can actually bring your little ones around and sit around. Uh, hey, and, uh, hey, hey, hey. You, you want to claim all day that you're not a misanthrope. That's fine. Don't be throwing that blanket over me. <laughs> I'm a misanthrope, and I'm going to stay right there. I hate everybody. Get away from me, you bastard! But you like nudity and gore, though. Well, I like that, but that yeah. doesn't involve me actually enjoying the company of other human beings. That's right. There. I just want to. Im- I just want an image. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. So next month, Godzilla over at the Bloody Pit, and 
December back here for My Friend the Vagabond, written and directed by Paul Nashi. A family-friendly Christmas mm. treat, yes. we hope. We hope, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, while you're at it, during the merry month of October, uh, remember that the episode 18 of The Bloody Pit, which you can grab yeah, from the blog. Yeah, please, please subscribe to the podcast if you want. Uh, I did uh, a Halloween mix. I did a uh, kind of mixtape of Halloween music and uh, movie trailers and things of that nature for episode number 18, just for fun, something I used to do all the time mm-hmm. uh, on CDs yeah, that yeah, I would yeah, hand out to people. Really cool. So if you're interested... Check that out. It's a, it's a fun uh, hour and 20 or so minutes of uh, Halloween music for your uh, October period fun time. I hope to do one of these next year as well, try to, try to make it a tradition in podcast form. So mm-hmm. thank you very much for listening to this. Remember to write us at nashicast at gmail.com or come visit us over on the Nashicast Facebook page. Thank you to Dan for his, uh, his latest contribution to the podcast. And thank you all for downloading and listening. Yes, yes. Thanks so much. We've had a bunch of listeners, a lot of downloads, and it's exciting. We really appreciate everybody checking it out. I know. We've had some odd spikes I know, in downloads. It's like, it's yeah, crazy. Some, I know. Someone out there. Someone uh, out there loves us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so, and, yeah, and we were remiss, and, you know, I can't, we, we did not wish everybody a happy Halloween, and so we will do that right now. We hope I, this most wonderful of all months and greatest of all holidays, we hope you have a safe and fun one. <laughs> Thank you very much, folks, and uh, happy Halloween. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we will see you next month.